This week on Out Now with Internet, we are talking Killers of the Flower Moon. Can you find the podcasters in this picture? We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! How are you, Aaron? You know what? I'm doing well. I had a oh. uh, a nice day with the lovely girlfriend, the lovely okay. Anna Bosch, and myself, her, and her sister, we were out doing some stuff, and mm-hmm. here's Gardening? what happened. No, oh. but we, we were running some errands and going to some stores and stuff, but we went okay. to, like, there's, like, an outdoor plaza, and they had a setup where they had, like, ping pong and um, cornhole... And a foosball table. Oh. Now, I had a foosball table in college. Uh, when okay. I say that, I mean, I brought a foosball table to college once I had my own place there. Uh, it, was, it was just Did like you I buy like it locally it. or from uh, from your home city? I, I had it already at my oh. house. I brought, I brought it up there. Look at you. So I haven't played foosball in a little bit. So I was like, yeah, I want to play some foosball. So we played foosball. Mm-hmm. And um, it was me versus the two of them. Yeah. Um, on the We played three games. On the third game... On the, when I when I hit the final goal to win again, I yelled foosball, and it was the best. <laughs> now is that a U.S. rule or is that an international rule? It was. I'm going to win this game, and I'm going to announce it very dramatically. <laughs> that's that's what happened. To Got happen. it. Okay, so that was my day. So we had a really nice day. So it was nice. Oh, I'm glad to hear. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It started raining up here in the Bay, which is great. You know, uh, I think that California is still the uh, drought positive, meaning like, you know, we're the last season's rains are still helping us out. So it's always good to know that we're in, we're in full swing area, quote unquote, autumn. That's a fun way of saying you just sat at home and watched like sports all day where it's like nothing happens. So here's the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Back to you, Aaron. <laughs> Tonight, low breezes, temperatures I've, in the, the mid fifties. I've, I've picked up on this pattern. <laughs> I've been outside today. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it was raining air, and I had a limited. I, okay, you didn't go singing in the rain. I don't know what you do. Like, <laughs> you went out. Uh, yeah, I love giving weather reports all the time. <laughs> you should see my group text messages. Well, out now is a film podcast. <laughs> We're going to discuss new right. weekly. <laughs> We dig into movies we most support for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 553553. This is an area code in Iowa. For real. So, hello, all our Iowans. Iowans, yeah. Yeah. Got it. And this week we were talking Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Exactly. (laughs) And joining us to discuss Killers of the Flower Moon this week, we have. Critic and filmmaker from Lenoir Artur. He's not covered in Osage oil. His face just looks that way. It's Terrence Johnson. Hmm. <laughs> is this your way of trying to tell me that my skin is greasy? Yeah, what's oily? going on here? I call him Marcus and I'm ashamed. And now you're This saying... is black, not the black on black crime to start I, this podcast episode. I, I wrote this last night and I was smiling to myself for a good minute. And I'm like, I believe in that man for sure. <laughs> Starting, starting, starting off this at this episode about uh, a movie chronicling, you know, injustice to minority communities, and here, and here, you want to start us off. I'm on Team Terrence. <laughs> I'm grinning so big right now. <laughs> this is exactly yeah. the response I was hoping to get. <laughs> My God. Hey, how are you? Oh, we're just gonna go back to it, right? We're just, we're just gonna. 
We're just gonna gloss over this. Never happened. We're just gonna gloss over this like all the people in that community was glossing over the murders. Um, I'm doing fine. Oh, I'm doing all right. All right. Uh, I got to visit the California Science Center yesterday. Hey. I actually did stuff this weekend, which is a miracle because y'all know I love to be in the house. Um, <laughs> went to California Science Center, saw a cool IMAX documentary about deep space. Um, was on at the scene of the crime before the crime happened before Utah beat USC Ooh. Uh, last night because the science center is right next to the Coliseum which is where they play and I was unimpressed by the tailgating <laughs> the University of Southern California does uh-huh. I was like is for a and they're like a, a national power this is true and I was like is this it is this is this it so yeah um and then i just got to walk around the grove today so i was i was out of doors this weekend and the weather report uh blazing hot on saturday and it has come down and i think we're now gonna be in southern california fall temperatures which is which is like high 70s yeah it's like it's like (laughs) t-shirt and shorts weather as opposed to 95 degrees um (laughs) outside Got it. Well, Terrence, good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to keep in my whole, our whole, me and Abe's whole conversation <laughs> our, our while you were. You could, you can like chop it out and put it at the end, but like from when I finished talking about my weekend, I think to I might right do now, this to, to right before this. I want. You I to hope keep he does because I, I want to be sure to be able to hear all that since I missed <laughs> all of it just now based on technical difficulties that no one heard about. Um, but all right, let's uh, let's get into some stuff. Let's get to some show notes. Uh, first up, it is still October. We are in the middle of all of our horror-themed episodes, which have been a lot of fun. We've gone international this year for these horror specials. Uh, we talked about South Korean horror, Australian horror, and we just released our Japanese horror episode, which I think particularly is really good. Um, and we have upcoming our, our final one for this series uh, for this year, uh, Spanish horror Ooh. for Spain specifically. Um, so stay tuned for that. And we'll be wrapping up the month of our commentary track for The Exorcist, William Friedkin's The Exorcist. So mm-hmm. plenty of cool bonus content coming your guys' way, plenty of horror content, that's for sure, uh, to keep a spooky season slash Fogtober rolling. Um, <laughs> what else? Well, all of those episodes can be found where you can find podcasts, but mainly on things like Spotify or iTunes, where you can give us an iTunes yeah, a rating and a review, which would be great. Thank you so much in advance. For sure. Okay, let's move on. Let's get to let's get some bad updates. Trademark. Each of that we 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 took that we released some bad updates. Trademark. Oh, good. I was happy with that. Pretty good. Terrence, what have you been watching recently? Well, Aaron, thank you so much for asking. <laughs> um, a couple of films I have seen recently. I watched Soylent Green oh. for the first time. I was kind of shook that it's only 90 minutes. Yeah. It's cool. um, and it's wild because the story of Soylent Green takes place in 2022. Uh-huh. And so watching it in 2023 is such a fascinating way of looking at it because it's like their vision of the future, but their vision of the future is still very 70s. If you look at all the TV and the furniture yeah. in it. um. But I enjoyed it. It definitely it ends real abrupt, though. It does. I kind of think it's right for a remake. Hmm. Um, 
I could see that work going there. I think, yeah. it, and I think we're, I don't think we're past the idea of because, like, no, we're not concept, past. No, but I mean, I mean, but like the the like the pop cultural, the pop culture, like understanding of that movie is based solely on the end bit as far yeah, as what Soil and Green is, and it's like I I feel like we're almost past that enough where people will be less concerned with like that aspect of it and more concerned with wait what is this movie because mm. you're right it's a very good movie i like it a lot and I, yeah. I do think it gets kind of kind of pigeonholed in this place of like it's only known for this thing about it but it's like like i think edward g robinson's really good in the movie and he and chuck heston like have a great relationship together like there's there's a lot of good stuff in it throughout yeah i i really enjoyed it um and yeah i do think it's right i mean we're it's 50 years you know from when it it debuted so i do and especially sort of our focus on uh climate and climate change and our understanding of the world it would be really interesting to see that for sure there's some stuff you could do redone. with that but yeah they keep, they keep they keep threatening logan's run oh, it, my God. It's like, oh. and for what and i don't for what and like they basically <laughs> did with in time which was also bad so That's it's like good. what are we like, what, yeah what, what more do we need to get from if you're if you're older you die like uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait that's what happened no <laughs> yeah um i watched this movie this lifetime original movie go on called amish stud the Ooh. eli weaver story <laughs> okay it is <laughs> lifetime is diabolical i want them, i want everybody thrown in jail <laughs> but i want them to keep writing while they're in jail but i do want them <laughs> in prison um essentially it's the true life story of this amish guy it's a true story wow. it's a true story <laughs> of this amish guy who was on these dating websites under amish stud and like cheating on his wife by sleeping with all these women and like one day his wife gets murdered Ugh. oh what Jeez. in the amish community and so they're trying to it's 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 bonkers they call here it's un, what an unhinged film luke mcfarlane Luke McFarland, who Bro? we know from Bros, and who I know from Brothers and Sisters, and many many Hallmark Christmas movies. Yes, plays Eli Weaver. <laughs> it was one of those like, I'm not gonna knock it. Bills need to be paid, right? Yeah, everybody needs to work. the The rent is due on the first, regardless of if the movie is good or not. But I, it is mind blowing that he went from Bros to starring in this. Mm. Um. So that was when I saw El Conde. Wait, Conde. wait, hold on. How did you get recommended this movie, Terrence? Did you? Just I don't think scroll? you needed much convincing to turn it off. I, <laughs> I, or, I, or did, I saw, I saw, I saw like a tweet about it. Oh, okay, got it. And I said, "What is this?" <laughs> and then I was like, I, "I have to watch it. I have to watch it." Um, El Conde. Yeah, the um, Pablo Rain film. An interesting movie that I liked. I think I'm impressed by it more than I liked it. Hmm, okay. Give a one sentence what this is to remind people. Um, it's about uh, Pinochet, the dictator mm -hmm. in Chile. Chile? Yes. Yes. Who is actually an immortal vampire and he wants to die. There you and... go. <laughs> that sounds I mean, I cool. From the, from the director of Jackie and Spencer. And and no, so and no. it was very interesting seeing him come back to yeah that like what it'd be interesting to do a double feature of of this and no to just you know considering the fact that no is about getting Pinochet out of office mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, it, it's really I I applaud the like weird swing. Um and then when I thought it couldn't get any weirder. Yeah, that other a, person enters. A celebrity guest <laughs> <laughs> comes into the picture. Um so yeah, there was that. And then I watched Well, really well shot movie. I really like this. Oh, the, beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So black beautiful. and white, really well shot. And it's like uh, Academy Ratio too. Yeah, it was really cool to see that. Um and then uh I saw Friday the thirteenth, part two for the first time. Ah. Oh. And because this one as much HBO Max has all of them. Yeah. So by the end of this month, I will have seen all of them. Have will watch all of them, yes. Wow. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, Or at least get a a decent chunk in. Uh, they this one I wanna applaud them for being economical. With the runtime, like we know why we're here. Yeah, that's 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 most of them. But at the same time, because it's so economical, and because it takes so long for like the first person to die, it then feels like you're like a mad rush through all the rest of the people getting sliced yeah. and diced. They do a lot of stake setting before they, and then they just kind of like let it yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. And. Okay. You know, it's it's interesting to watch these. Obviously, I, I love the first one and I've seen the reboot. But like, it's interesting to see how they went from the, the first one, the killer and the second one. You know, who's the killer? It's like, OK, there there was something. These were cash grab esque. But there was like real movie people behind making these. Uh, you'll see you'll see, you'll see as you go like they, they throw. I mean, uh, you know, it's not the highest of arts whatever that you want to qualify that as but like there's a there's a there's a rhyme and reason to like the various sequels and why certain ones stand out like four and six generally get the highest marks for good reason um one is the first so it has its own like because i i think two is a bit because that's steven uh what's his face it's not steven brill it's a regardless i think two is a better directed movie than the first one but the first Mm. one's like oh the first one iconic I, yes, I, I'm not as big on it, but like I, I get it for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, but then like three, three, four is like a one two punch of like, hey, this could be really, these can actually really work really well. And five doesn't, own, but it goes on. There's a yeah. lot of thoughts and opinions about them. <laughs> the price. Yeah, I think the, the producers, I, I, was, I was reading the Wikipedia and they were like, they envisioned it ending, but. Well, yeah, they called the fourth one the final chapter. Yeah, so. but you know, <laughs> Paramount said, "But money." Mm-hmm. Steve Steve Miner is the director on the second one. That's yeah, to... so yeah, I I enjoyed it, but yeah, it definitely was like, I'm like, I I love the 90 minute runtime, but like, 60 minutes of setup, <laughs> then 30. It's like we could maybe maybe 45 45 next time the good thing is you've got basically over the hump because every other one i think is better paced Even more mm. yeah okay. like because i think because 3d that's the next one uh if you didn't know <laughs> i didn't know and i, I didn't have know a 3d either. tv that i've never no, you've got to wear the red and black lens or the red and uh, blue lenses. oh was it red and bl- was it red yes, and blue it was the red and blue yeah. Yeah. okay yeah. well then yeah. never mind yeah 3d like it they go, you'll see as you're going, you'll go through. I'll be curious what your ranking is by the time you get through these. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward exciting. to it. I, I had a lot of fun with, I, I mean, I, I, I love the first one dearly. So, but I had a lot of fun with part two, but yeah, the pacing of it is strange. <laughs> you'll see. And, um, 
yeah the, when, you come to, when it comes to runtime the remake's the only one that's like long that movie's like i think like an hour 50 or something like that because oh it's my like god for... because it has because that's like a 20 minute prologue before the title comes up <laughs> like just to be like what? hey in case you didn't realize you're watching Friday the 13th there you go <laughs> wow i mean people are probably checking their tickets <laughs> <laughs> all right anything else terrence that's basically it okay abe okay. how about you what have you been watching uh in tv corner uh, oh, I watched uh, the reboot of Frasier. Uh, oh, oh, I've heard terrible no, things. How'd that go? It's <laughs> Frasier is still Frasier, which I kind of appreciate. He's kind of like this smarmy, smug asshole uh, with like good quips. It's it's just that the old one is superior. So just keep it to the old one. I think there's there's uh, it has multiple main characters that are on this show. So I see that's I feel like that's probably a reason why as well. Yeah, there. The old one uses the characters more, and they kind of make more more um, logical sense as to why they're there. His brother, his dad, the caretaker for his dad, his his radio producer, uh, Roz, and then various people that pop in and out, including the, the previous cast of Cheers. This new one has like his son, his son's roommate, his old professor buddy, uh, a Harvard president who's trying to get him to become a professor over at Harvard, um, and various people that come in and out, oh, and his nephew. Uh, who's kind of playing ostensibly the the uh, Niles character, and I think what the old one, what the original series had was a lived-in quality that actually felt like it was, it could actually be like this psychiatrist and his brother's lives, and this one just feels like it's well, it's it's a modern comic comedic tale. They even have like the um, the audience laughter that they that they plug into the show, and that's not very fun. But it's weird because like I, I appreciate Frasier because Frasier is still a funny guy. Uh, the writing that they have for Frasier specifically is is pretty ah. okay. But everything else is like not not great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on another TV corner, uh, there's a new Goosebumps on Disney Plus. Yeah. I tried watching the first episode. I kind of had to turn it off because <laughs> it's very modern. Like these these kids are using iPhones and whatever else. And I, I kept back, or I thought I thought to myself, "That's what's uh, modern to you." Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm so lame. <laughs> like everybody uses iPhones. Like, what's, <laughs> what what makes that bad? Like, <laughs> I I might give it a rego because I thought that it was going to be more of like a, a classically. I thought you're going to say like they started using slang I never heard before. They probably do. They probably do. They probably. I, I would be curious how many times Riz comes up. They use iPhones, and I felt out of it. <laughs> yeah. So did you did you feel that way just because it's like you read them in your youth? I did. Or all of that's okay. Yes, yeah, because they came out in like the 90s, mid 90s, uh and so I started reading them as they were coming out, you know, the including mm-hmm. the first book and beyond. I think I stopped around like 96 because I started getting a little bit too, too scary. No. <laughs> they became very um very uh Haunted Mask 4, I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> how many times can you can you put on the Mask though? How haunted is this mask? Yeah, we're turning to Rod Rodney well, Dangerfield. Well, yeah, Cuz we watched the movies or at least the first one. The first I still, one, have, yeah. I still haven't seen the second one, which I also heard was good, but like uh-huh. we liked the first Goosebumps movie. We did. Yeah, yeah. And I was, think that those were a modern it. film also. So I'm curious like what's the separation? Yeah, I, I think the sensibility is that this is much made for like a Disney a, a teen Disney audience. Uh-huh. Um and that's the thing that feels weird about it cuz I was like, "Oh, just long is in this they've got slappy the clown kind of like on their carousel looking a little bit you know nefarious and dark there's haunted um, masks like, everywhere <laughs> haunted mask everywhere uh but yeah the first one is uh, say cheese and die which is a camera that can can kind of predict who's gonna Wait, so die is, is it a, is it like an anthology like is every episode different or is it a... yeah yeah it's basically an anthology like there are different episodes uh that are based off of the titles of of the books um and obviously 
if you read the books, the first one is actually Welcome to Dead House, which I thought was actually really good. Uh, this one is again, Say She Isn't Dead. And I'm sure they're going to get to like the classics, like um, that damn uh, haunted mask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The haunted mask and also, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Slappy the Clever. Uh, I forget what that, that extra title is called. But in any case, yeah, I'll give it another go. But it, uh, Terrence, to your point earlier, I, I think that I was expecting more of just a, not like it had to be like a 90s style feel or like a 2000s style feel, but just more of a, well, this is uh, this is about this book, and it's it's got this stuff in here, and we're gonna modernize it because, like what Aaron said, there was like the movies, the movie with uh, Jack Black in it that we both enjoyed, but um, if it was kind of going a little bit too like hip and cool, and I, I kind of just was maybe not in the mood for it, so I gave it another go. I'll come back to it. I'll come back. You're to it. you're also in your mid thirties, which are goosebumps. <laughs> like I get it. Like, hey I man, think it's... I still watch cartoons. It's interesting after the success, the success of Fear Street. Sure. Oh, I which see. is obviously like Arlstein, you know, stepping it up into much more adult. Yeah. Fair versus Goopsmumps, which is mainly he wants to terrify um, and traumatize children. <laughs> um, yes. But like that property, I think did a, I think they did a good job of like making that modern, obviously with the first one taking place when it took place mm-hmm. um but in a way that felt very familiar before you get before you start going back in time yeah yeah uh fear street is actually a good comp to this i i uh they're definitely not on fear street level but um because that's aim that's aiming to be more brutal more horrific yes yeah well on on horror movie corner uh i rewatched uh scream one because my my friend group and i were texting about it and i was like you know it's actually not that scary it's kind of just goofy uh, after the first opening, which is pretty brutal, with um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm Drew Barrymore, uh, America's least Barrymore. favorite talk show host, right, right. But uh, <laughs> that's pretty brutal. But after that, it actually gets really goofy. And I gave them an example of of uh, when Rose McGowan is running through the garage. It's like it's actually just a bunch of teenagers beating up on a teenager. So it's like you know, it, how is that goofy? No, like more just like she's throwing beer bottles at him, and he like stumbles, and then he he tries to like get her, and she flips him over. Uh, like a WWE move. Um, so, you know, she doesn't end out great for her, but there's, there's, um, there's like a, it, it's less scary than what you probably thought it was. It is still tense at times. Uh, and I'm thinking about things like in part two with like Aaron, I think your favorite sequence with the car. Yes. Um, but you know, it's Tremors, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Full circle. But uh, Scream, it's still it's still a classic, uh, and it's one that I think people would enjoy uh, watching if you haven't seen it before. And then, like Terrence, to your point, you can start getting a subscription to Paramount Plus, and you can just watch all of them, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, Ghost, Ghostface is a very stumbly villain. I've always yes, like, it, it, that's because he's human and he's portrayed as such. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, and he's a teenager. If, if you throw an one. if you throw an ottoman at him, yeah, he's gonna fall over the ottoman. Like, right. I, like uh, and, but I mean, I, I like Terrence. Like watching Friday movies, I don't think any of them are inherently that scary either. I think they're just you know, especially now because you just know the moves that they're trying to make. And I'd argue screen operates on a similar level as far as okay, here's an empty room and someone's going to turn a corner and someone's going to pop out at you. Like, it's not really <laughs> aiming super high beyond jump scare. Terrence, though, where you, where you, where you completely... Oh, no, I agree. Okay. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I I think Scream, obviously Kevin Williamson is really, really brilliant screenwriter. Um, 
and the actors in that are what really make the story. Like, I think when you take time away from that movie and you come back to it, like you probably did, it's like, it's not as scary, but you're like, oh, like this man was sick in the head when yeah. he wrote this. I, yeah. I know he's a brilliant screenwriter because he made a superior sequel in less than a year uh, writing that. So, I mean, that 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 worked out. Like, he's very good at what he does. There you go. Yeah. Are you going to go? Are you going to be like Terrence and watch all the screen movies? I mean, I've seen all of them fairly recently. I, I think I did a run through of them well, last Halloween. Um, and then we had Scream 6 earlier this year. Yeah, we had Scream 6, which was fun in New York. And I think the next one is is uh, at, we, during the winter. Uh, so I'm um, curious to see where that goes. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, that's it. All right. Well, I haven't had a chance to check out Goosebumps yet because there's just lots of things to watch. But I did watch a, you know, a horror show for adults. I watched The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I forgot to mention that. I saw that too. I'm halfway. Th- I'm five episodes. It's like eight episodes. I'm five episodes in, so I'm mm-hmm. getting through it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Mike Flanagan's latest Netflix series. His final Netflix series. He's going to Amazon. Oh, is that right? This. <gasps> yeah. Uh, he's, going to, he's going to Amazon. He's still going to oh, Amazon. Well, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> he just, yeah, that the other check cleared. Um, <laughs> regardless, his latest one, I really like this so far. Like, this is my, I'd still probably put it like, I, unless it like has three amazing episodes to round this thing out, uh, which you entirely could i still like i think haunted hill and midnight mass are like the best things he's done um but like this is very satisfying it's using a lot of edgar Allan poe um to like working into its story and what have you like it's Mm -hmm. it has all of i like i like that he has this like this running cast of character like his like his like how orson wells would have his own like his his set people that he'd keep using i like how Flanagan has like all of the same people that he keeps relying on for over and and, like adds new ones every now and then to the fold but like just seeing like all the same faces playing new characters, it's fun. It's a fun like exercise to watch like actors like you know playing around with what they're you know what they can do and show mm-hmm. range and stuff. Uh, but I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Um, in the realm of the TV stuff, I'm also watching Chucky, of course, because Chucky's great. Um, I'm annoyed that there's it's split up the season, so there's only four right now and four later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it continuous storyline. Yes, yeah, in the, all from, the series, as in. The child's play one connects to this show now, like, and it's not stopped. Okay. It is yeah. the, the 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 Chucky that we were introduced to in the eighties has had multiple sequels and the TV show and everything matters. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. okay, it's wonderful. Yet the show knows how to like make itself so that doesn't necessarily matter. Like, you can watch you can watch the show and be fine, but it like gets what it's doing. It's uh, mm-hmm. clever in that regard. Uh, meanwhile, Loki uh, exists. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm watching season two of Loki, and yeah, they had they shot episodes of that. Thoughts um, and prayers on that journey. I I have not seen a single frame of the second season. I can't do it. It's uh, it's I another can't. it's another Marvel show. Uh, it has things I enjoy, and then there's stuff that's like, well, I guess I'm occupying 40 minutes of my time, and I'll move on with my life afterwards. Just what you want to hear <laughs> when describing a television show. Made by a company that apparently now <laughs> wants to hire showrunners and make show bibles and do pilots and that hire TV execs wild. to run the TV yeah. division. That was a wild reveal. Like, what? There are no showrunners? I, I, I love them down. They gave us great <laughs> movies over the years, but that is <laughs> truly, yeah, it, yeah, that was a mess. <laughs> On the, um, on the movie side of things, yes, I'm doing a lot of Spanish movie uh, research, so but I still managed to get a few in here. Um, and also Spider Man Two, the game came out. And it's awesome. It's t- mm-hmm. also taking some time away as well these days. But um, 
I watched The Burial. This is on Prime. It's a courtroom drama with Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, this is super good. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. It's like it's it's a very like old fashioned like here's a courtroom drama that has a, it's based on a real story and a real lawyer right. and case and it's it's just it's movie stars saying the dialogue in a courtroom doing the thing that you like seeing in courtroom dramas and it's mm-hmm. very entertaining it's like a, it's like a comedy drama it's like hard to say drama but it's not a it's not my cousin Vinny but it's not like super serious either it, it mm-hmm. does the job and I think Jamie Foxx in particular is really good in this as the lead lawyer who's like this he's like a TV like hot shot kind of lawyer that you see in like ridiculous ads but he's brought in for like a real case uh for reasons mainly because they're in the south and they need they feel like they need a black lawyer um and it just it's just good it has this real like satisfying energy to it that i like seeing when it comes to these kinds of movies it's kind of an old-fashioned type of way of being like yeah let's it has all the cliches it even has the watch yourself counselor like it has all this stuff going on but it's like (laughs) ah i'm enjoying this this is good yeah i've heard good things about it including jimmy fox's performance yeah like jones is in the zone but he's like He's Jones more, is in the zone. He is. Jones in the zone because he's Tommy G. You know, it's not like he has to do a lot. Of course, I just like, like the phrasing there. Yeah, but 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 Fox is like the lead, and he's right, right. Uh, he's very good. Okay. Um, I watched Old Dads. This is Bill Burr's directorial debut as a filmmaker. Hmm. As him, uh, Bobby Cannavale, and Bokeem Woodbine. And hey. it's basically, what if Bill Burr did his stand-up, but it had two supporting characters and a three-act structure? and it's it's whatever it's i like bill burr um so like seeing him and like doing this where it's just like jokes i basically know from him already as far as like he's older and he respects certain things but he's also thinks it's ridiculous like okay like it's if you like his comedy like there's something there but there's not much to this movie it's on Mm -hmm. netflix and it feels like a netflix comedy where it's like yeah we gave bill burr some money to make a movie um let's see what else uh, Terrence, I think you saw this too. Mafia Mama. I did. Mafia? I talked about it. You did. T- you did talk about it. I thought on so. our on our Little Mermaid episode I was... where I told you that you were going to be sitting at the right hand of Beelzebub. Yes. Uh, uh, okay. I, not for that though, but because of the scuttlebutt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, if I'm not, this feels like a movie that I think. Did you like watch this on a plane? Is that what I happened? sure did. I was watching this and I couldn't recall this exactly, but what it was on like Paramount Plus, and I was like, okay, I can do this like while I'm watching work. And as I was watching it, I was like, this is like a perfect plane movie. Like mm-hmm. this is okay. it's not necessarily good, but it has such a like zany enough energy, but not like super like so it's not like you have to like really watch it closely to get it. It's just more like, well, it's passing time. Tony Collette seems to be having a good time. Like, who cares? Whatever, right? <laughs> it's just like ridiculous enough to make it work as it needs to for the kind mm. of thing it's going for. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's good, but I'm not going to say it's. it felt like a waste of time either. It's like, all right, I get this. I get what we're doing here. So yeah, Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched The Mill. This was Lil Rel Howery. It's on Hulu. It's a, I guess, like a sci-fi thriller where Lil Rel Howery, who... I generally like. I I feel like ever since Get Out, when he like kind of like broke out there and like keeps popping up and stuff, I'm like I like him. Every time mm-hmm. I see Laura Howery, I'm, I'm I'm on board with him. Yeah. Um, he plays a guy that works for like an Amazon type company in some kind of future, and he wakes up in like an isolated area where he's tasked with literally turning a mill 
for like 12 hours a day. Um, and there's rules and stuff that go with this, but it's like an isolated thriller featuring a comedy guy. And I think the success of this movie depends on if you believe the, you know, the actor in it. And given that we haven't seen Lil Rel Howery do much beyond comedy, here he's tasked with being, you know, a dramatic character who's put into like an extreme situation. And I think he pulls it off. I think he does the job here. This movie's way too long. It's like an hour 40. This would be like a tight 85. It'd be fine. Mm. But for like, if I'm just like, if I'm, if I'm going to ask myself, does Lil Rel Howery have the chops to pull this kind of thing off? I think he did. So like, it's good enough for like a random Hulu thriller that came out featuring this guy. Um, so yeah, that's the mill. And uh, yeah, I saw some other things that I feel like, like I saw Salt Burn, I saw the holdovers, but I feel like we'll probably do shows on those eventually. So we'll talk yeah. about those at a later time. But I will emphasize this. I talked about When Evil Lurks a few weeks back. I think Alex Billington brought it up on the show, and I think I just supported what he was saying about it. Um, th- this movie stuck with me longer than I realized. Like, it's really hit me as far as how like creepy and violent it is for like this season, uh, especially in the midst of watching all these horror movies for these episodes. I, so I just really want to I really want to keep recommending when evil works. It hits shutter, I think this Friday, actually, at the time of this recording. Um, but it's a it's a really strong Argentinian horror film that I, I really certainly recommend checking out if you if you're looking for a new horror that's pretty okay. effective. Is this about the rebirth of the devil? It has that aspect yeah. involved okay. in it. Yes. I've heard some bits of that movie. I just wanted to confirm it was the same one. I think yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff happening in an apartment <laughs> building, maybe. Uh no, not an apartment. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> but it's it's the it's the other possession movie that came out like the same it's week the as, other, Ex- yeah. as Exorcist, and Exorcist was you know bad. Uh, this right, is, uh, right, this right. is uh, very good. So, <laughs> you know, I can't remember what happened in the Exorcist. People got excised. Oh, there were two the power girls. community. That's right. Yeah, that, that was the yeah the power community except yeah. Jews. Um, <laughs> no Jews allowed in the Exorcist. That's that's what they said. That's what Ann Dowd said. She closed the door. <laughs> on, on three rabbis <laughs> like we just want to help i'd watch that movie <laughs> they're just like, like they don't need is, it, is it a comedy or is it a drama it is uh choose your own adventure i say oh wow okay <laughs> all right that's enough cookies <laughs> trademark let's move on let's get to our trailer talk we're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week when it's coming out when we thought of it what have you this week we're talking ferrari thank um, you for the accent it's the only accent we're still allowed to use about being that, canceled that's I believe. correct um so ferrari <laughs> Um, is Michael Mann's return to cinema. Hey. Um, director Michael Mann has not made a film since 2015's Black Hat. Uh, it's been eight years. Uh, but here, he is making a film focused on Enzo Ferrari, played by Adam Driver. It's set specifically during the summer of 1957. There are things going on with his family life, with his company. Uh, and uh, I, I assume the only solution is to probably enter some kind of giant race. If I had, mm. if I'm just to take a guess, I guess how this is going to go. Uh, but the film has Adam Driver, as I mentioned, along as well as Penelope Cruz, Shailene Woodley, um, among others. That's a new Michael Mann movie, as I mentioned. I'm curious, Terrence, what did you think of the trailer for? Are you excited for Ferrari? Am I excited for Ferrari? it's hmm. a long pause yeah just a double, double. <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know um i'm i'm very tickled by the fact that from the director of heat and last of the mohicans is how he is referenced in the trailer <laughs> hit movies i said wow last of the mohicans not not miami vice um not, or not, a, not as much of a hit movie collateral the one that got your well, uh, actor Oscar nominated. Um, 
I think it looks fine. It looks like a prestige drama. I'm I like the fact that it's set during a specific point of time in this man's life. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like about all of her. Oh life. my god. Yeah, we'd be there forever. Um Enzo. <laughs> I don't Shailene Woodley, and I like Shailene Woodley as an actress. The trailer is not doing her any favors. But knowing the quality of actor she is, I'm sure she is fine in the movie. Um, but yeah, I'm I I'll go see it. I'll give it a shot. Um, right. I it just I, when I obviously Ferrari brings to mind Ford versus Ferrari, mm-hmm. which was a very good movie and a very kinetic film and made in a in a particular style and way. And I'm intrigued to see what Michael Mann's style is going to do to for the racing scenes as well as the family drama stuff. All right. Hey, about you? Yeah, I'm I'm very uh much in the same boat. I'm Michael Mann is first of all, I mean, we're gonna get a Ridley Scott Michael Mann, and we we're gonna talk about a Scorsese movie later tonight. Uh and that's like <laughs> pretty powerful uh thing to say in 2023. Um and so I I'm very excited to see what Michael Mann is able to do. He's uh, I remember what was the first movie that he shot just like all digital um, and people were like, it's collateral. Is it collateral? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, collateral was the first one he shot digital. I think like public enemies was the one where it's like, this looks like video like that. It like mm. has a very, because it's a period piece. It yeah. Very he added distinct... maybe some, some grain to it or something. But it has a, like, it, it looks very live for being a period film, which you don't generally associate like digital yeah. photography of that kind of, that kind of yeah. movie. But I'm curious to see how he's going to do some things technically, like especially with the racing sequences. Um, and I I'm, I want to see what Michael Mann is talking about in this movie because he, he certainly has things to say about male machismo um, and maybe like the, uh, the tenacity of spirit in trying to get things that might be ridiculously unattainable or are not really worth anybody else getting except for like one singular person. So I'm curious to see how he's going to take that on with uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ferrari here. Uh, and I, I, I'm honestly just more curious around uh, how much of uh, a better performance is going to be for Adam driver than in house of Gucci. Uh, I still love the ridiculousness and, and the fun of some parts of house of Gucci, but uh, I, I just want to compare the two. I um sign me up. Michael Mann is one of my favorite directors. I, I'm fully on board with him just continuing to play with like what he's done with film with, with uh, digital photography and mm-hmm. how he's molded his style to be less and less about like direct plotting and more about like mood and atmosphere. Like he's done that throughout his career, but I mean, this something like this, I'm sure there's a trajectory of what the story is, but it feels like it's so in the zone of him being like, I just want to like put this in a place and, depict this man and like what he's all about and that intrigues me for sure um yeah you have adam driver who's you know among the best actors working right now in his generation i and i've heard nothing but great things about penelope cruz actually based on all the festival talk so it's like yeah good like all of this sounds great um i yes yeah, the, the racing stuff alone i'm like are plenty excited about like if if you and i are like yeah grand Turismo had great racing scenes i'm sure michael mann's gonna blow that out of the fucking water so <laughs> i'm looking forward to like whatever that's gonna turn into yeah. um yeah i <laughs> it it's been a long time <laughs> but like waiting for michael mann to return i know like he had this ver- he had a movie he had a version of this of christian bale for a oh, while right okay yeah 
and that didn't happen. And then Christian Bale did Ford versus Ferrari, which is great. So it's like, all right, let's <laughs> we're going to keep getting Ferrari movies. I hope they keep accomplishing uh, this level of greatness because uh, I'm all about it. And I'm not a car guy whatsoever. I'm just like, yeah, I, I've enjoying the way they like you said, the way the way Michael Mann attacks certain themes and like matching that up to like this kind of story. That's that's very intriguing to me. So very much looking forward to this film. Um, Ferrari opens in theaters on Christmas, December twenty fifth. Wow! Open up your presents and go to the theater. It's uh, it's coming from Neon, so I assume it's like a smaller release. We'll see if it gets a, like a if it's like a wide on the twenty fifth or it's more. Oh, of a I platform. see what you're saying. So it might be like wide in January. Might be wide in January. Got it. Time, yeah. Got it. But, okay. Uh, but we'll see. Um. All right. We'll talk about Ferrari. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, you got you got nice color skin. What color would you say that is? My color. Oh, Sage. They have the worst land possible. But they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it. Black gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. <laughs> this wealth should come to us. Their time is over. It's just going to be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. I ought to kill these white men who killed my family. I need you here. got to take back control of your home. I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. All right. That should have been some of the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon. Based on the 2017 book by David Grant, who also wrote The Lost City of Z, there was an initial plan to have Leonardo DiCaprio star as the lead agent of the newly formed FBI investigating the Osage murders that took place in the 20s until brighter heads prevailed. In this film from director Martin Scorsese, the story is focused more on the Osage Nation, Osage Nation and their relationship with the white interlopers who use criminal means to go after the Osage's oil-based wealth. DiCaprio stars as Ernest, a World War I veteran who moves into the area to work with his uncle, played by Robert De Niro, a prominent businessman and supposed friend to the Native American community. Ernest soon falls for Molly, an Osage woman of great wealth, but by Lily Gladstone. And while the two are eventually married, Ernest and his uncle's activities continue doing plenty of harm to the community. Terrence, I'm so curious. What did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? Well, Aaron, um, because, you know, we we saw this movie at different times in different places and definitely didn't walk out of the theater with me letting you know what I thought of the movie. Um, I have yes, a feeling that... you know, what you're saying is a lie right now. <laughs> Can you find the wolves in this picture? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, the wolves were starting that screening uh, 20 minutes late. Um, 
I I really like this movie. I realize I have fallen sort of out of lockstep with Martin Scorsese post Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. Um, did not like The Irishman or Silence. And I am glad to see a return to form, at least in my eyes. I thought that it was a really smart film and how it depicted what it depicted, I think coming in, bringing us into sort of the familial connections of the story as like the, the criminality was building up outside of it. It was like a really great point. Um, a really great touch point for any, any sort of audience coming into the movie because it's like, he makes everything feel so immediate. Um, and I think it is other than the fact that he, you know, the rewrite gave, you know, a bunch of these um, Native American actors the chance to, you know, really dig their heels into these parts, I, m- making the movie about the criminal enterprise versus the guy who came in to investigate it is much more fulfilling of a story. Um, I do have some qualms. I think that while I was fine with the length, I think sort of how stuff in the third act was portrayed contributed to making me feel the length hmm. even though i three and a half hours is fine like this it, it felt like a story that needed to be that but just the way certain scenes that were shown certain approaches to the material um and then i have one sort of bigger issue when we can get into specifics with one particular performance um but is it jack you know, white <laughs> it's not okay um but uh yeah i thought i thought it was really really good a really solid movie it definitely it definitely is very triggering um you know but uh it was real i thought it was really really well done and put together um so yeah but yeah i w- i want to hear your guys opinions before i get into the, sort of the specifics of sure. the qualm that the main qualm that i had yeah 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 Abe, what did you think of pillars of the power moon i'd also like to add that i think that we might go into spoiler territory later in this review is that, that right aaron that that's fair to say okay. yeah uh so we'll talk generally but then i think i think to really get into the meat of it uh we'll get into some stuff but um I'm still processing this movie uh I there's uh, a lot going on I think from a directorial standpoint but also from a plot standpoint and just uh, all the performances kind of just come in together and, and sort of coalescing into this uh this movie that I thought was um like very well done and I think that there's like there's this element of uh coldness I I was feeling throughout the movie because I I I'm aware of you know the atrocities that uh, the Native Americans have been through, and so anytime that I'm watching this movie, I'm also just thinking like, well, I'm waiting for the, the shoe to drop, um, and I'm like, I I'll bet you that these white guys get away with this kind of thing, um, and I was very glad to kind of go on this arcing journey, and I thought that the editing in this movie was was pretty well done uh, from the shoemaker. Uh, who's edited a lot of Scorsese's movies, but I, I thought it was actually a really, I don't know if it was deliberate, but I thought that it was a really uh, interesting 
pace uh, and length of this movie to also give you an extra feeling of death by a thousand paper cuts type of thing. Like these Osage uh, Native Americans have, have been so taken advantage of by these uh, white settlers. And they kind of discuss it in this movie too, where they were just saying like, we've been, you know, degraded and we've been told to, to take these lands and now our lands are still coming out or being sought after. And so when does this end kind of stuff? And I, again, like I, I thought it was fairly brilliant if it was on point of having the, the movie kind of be paced up for three hours and 25 minutes. Obviously this is based off of an adapted book and that book has a different point of view. Um, and I think there's still some challenges for this movie uh, with maybe the earnest character that, uh, I, I'm kind of conflicted with, but at the same time, I, from an actor standpoint, I think Lily Gladstone is incredible in this movie. Um, I think that she has this magnetism in her performance uh, and being on screen where I was just very drawn to her, um, which is very difficult to do, uh, considering that you have like Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie as well. Um, but she's incredibly captivating. And when she's missing, um, I think that they're, uh, I did feel that um, there are times where she's kind of like bedridden and kind of have to do some other stuff. And I was like, Oh, where, where's Lily Gladstone? Um, I think that there's also uh, the scorsese of it all. At first I was like, okay, well I I'm familiar with Martin Scorsese and I know that he likes to have maybe sometimes an upbeat style of directing or editing or uh, visualization um, and in the first like 15, 20 minutes, I was like, oh, OK, well, yeah, it's kind of here. Like he's kind of got upbeat music from Robert Robertson and it's um, kind of doing some some cool shots. Uh, and then it actually just tones down a lot. Um, and I thought that, that was uh, an incredible sort of uh, new mastery that Scorsese might have because um, it's. It's very matter of fact, like everything is very matter of fact of this movie, including the killings, which I we've seen killings in his previous movies as well, where they're kind of stylized or they can be a little bit they're violent, but they're also kind of played for, you know, like, oh, well, that was real, like, you know, Jack Nicholson killing some woman and saying like she fell funny. It's like these killings in here are just like really mean and, and dark. Um, and at one point I was like, oh, well, they're not going to show me one of these killings. And then like 10 minutes later, they sure do. Uh, and I was really bummed out uh, because, again, it, it's so cold and heartless. And I think at the end of it all, I'm still just like, man, like these guys are not even like that, that like <laughs> these guys are kind of dim, like uh, like Ernest Burkhart is kind of dim and and still like all this stuff was. Uh, taking place during this time period. And so, yeah, I, I there's still a lot for me to unpack for this, but I, I'm curious, Aaron, what you what you think about this. I, it's a movie where I, I already think it's a tremendous achievement in filmmaking, and I can only... I, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that when I see this a second time, which I plan to, because my dad really wants to see it, uh, so I'll, I'll take him probably next week at some point. Um, I have no doubt that it'll just go up in my estimation as far as like what I don't I can't even think of like gripes I have at this point in time. It's just more of like I need to, like you're saying, kind of like fully think it out as far as like all that it's doing and accomplishing, because I, I do think it works so well in being this depiction of a very specific time and recreating that in a way that is so thoughtful and so clearly sympathetic towards the Osage people. 
and yet it's still wrapped in this kind of Martin Scorsese uh, rapper that reflects, I think, a lot of the things he's been doing for the past decade within this later period of his career, which is, from my point of view, been just uh, uh, fantastic um, as far as making a variety of different types of films, exploring different techniques and what have you, where you have the kind of sense of excess to a degree that's like into something like Wolf of Wall Street, you have this like constant feeling of dread, like in silence. And it's all fitted into this epic of a film where you have these three just really terrific performances and it goes into this story that, yeah, it's, it's a tough watch as far as when you think about what's going on, it's like, Oh man, there's like horrible things happening here. And yet it's not to say that it's entertaining in the same way that like a departed is or something that's clearly like relying on a sense of entertainment in a more traditional way, but there's such a, a cavalier nature about the whole ordeal because of the way these terrible white people regard the Osage people that like, you just, you just kind of get into this flow and go along with the things that are taking place. It's not a matter of, you know, endorsing it or agreeing with the actions taking place. It's more of you're so, you're so neutered, and not like not not sitting there like just like thinking awful the whole time because Scorsese is just a way of like transferring you into this time and place and that's that's what I like so much about this this movie's three and a half hours as we pointed out multiple times already and it, you know it's not to like the last hour where like there's a real momentum based on just like now things are really like moving along because there has to be a result of all this and so you have a good long time where you're just learning about these people learning about the the town the, the the communities that they're in and learning about these characters and that's i just i was so into that you know you know what you're getting into going in based on knowing that it's so long and it's like i so i i didn't feel i'm like terrence i didn't feel the right like it didn't feel long to me it just felt like yeah there's there's a story that requires a certain amount of time to get across what it's going for but i was so happy to just feel like i was being i was absorbing everything that was being presented to me whether it comes from the way it's shot how it's edited the costume and production design what have you like all of the you know you have you have Scorsese here so he's getting the best of the best to work on a film with him it all feels so like clear and present as far as getting you to just really just sit in with all of this take it in and not necessarily like enjoy it but certainly you know feel what you're what he wants you to feel and yeah, I we can get more to detail about certain things, but no, there's there's. Yeah, I want I want to ask you guys both because this was a topic of conversation this weekend on social media, which was well, this movie is very long, and I kind of want to hear what you guys have to say about movie lengths in general, because um, we've we've all discussed that we didn't really mind that this uh, this Killers of the Flood Moon is three hours and twenty five minutes, but here's what you guys have to say just very briefly on movie lengths. I mean, I think the fact that all of us do not mind the length of this movie <laughs> means I it's the it's to me it's the least interesting thing to talk about. Like how how if whether or not it felt like it was too long. It's like there's yeah, it's throwing so much at you where it's like yeah, it's a long movie. Okay, next. Yeah, <laughs> I think that there is a shorter movie in here. Um, you know, I I there there are two scenes in particular that I didn't think that I, that I didn't need. Um, but what does that trim the runtime? Five minutes? <laughs> like, um, you know, a movie, I think a movie should be as long as it should be. I will say yes. that I, I think that I appreciated the fullness of the vision. I do think that 
Scorsese's approach because it it doesn't I I had this issue I'm having this issue a lot with movies that have like time passage in them and very famously with 12 years a slave where it's like 12 years a slave as a picture of slavery and the horrors of it is like phenomenal 12 years a slave as the story of the character Chiwetel was playing being a slave for 12 years is not <laughs> right. Like it, it, like that, I, I, I genuinely believe that that movie fails at that aspect and, and as such keeps me from liking it more than I do because I'm like the impact of the time passing doesn't really feel so like there, and there are some things I think in this movie that the impact of just how long and insidious this thing is isn't really felt due to some things and how he he does stuff in the runtime but like in terms of like the portrait of like this all-encompassing awfulness surrounding these people is why i think the runtime is good yeah i'm with you i i've used this phrase with aaron when we when we have like production meetings it's like however long it is is however long it is um, if a director wants to make a movie that is like 88 minutes, fine. Or if a director wants to make a movie that's like four hours and, and 30 minutes, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm curious to see what these people bring to the table. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, when I first, before I saw this movie, when I saw the interviews where Leonardo DiCaprio watched an Ari Aster movie and was talking to Martin Scorsese, they were talking about Ari Aster movies and like Bo is Afraid in particular came up. I haven't seen Bo's Afraid, but any any mention of Ari Aster in like the thought of how you want to approach pacing a movie instantly broke out into <laughs> hives. In I was hives. so scared. I was terrified. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I think he, this movie is really like, we're going to show, Marty was like, I want to get like systematic or right. systemic with it. So yeah. I got, I got to show you everything in just every single level of how this was allowed to happen. Um, and I think he did. Well, that's, yeah. that's where the admiration for me comes from with this, where it's like, yes, I'm denouncing the idea that the runtime matters, but I do like, if you're giving him $200 million to make this movie, like I'm happy to, yes, that's him using it well. To that's get to, a movie. Yeah. That's it. That's him to, like, yeah. he can make a movie at a lower means. He's done that for most of his life. And now yeah. he's at a point where he can, you know, he's a master filmmaker that, you know, given this budget, yeah, he's going to do exactly what you just said, Terrence. And yes, that's to the film's advantage as far as yeah, wanting to not only, you know, tell a story that puts a focus on a certain thing and provides like a good time at the theater, but like really has something to say and really wants to make sure that that is accomplished, not just, you know, putting some text at the end and saying, and this was terrible. It's just really right, yeah. like you know, I, all the aspects of it. Yeah. That's that's the true accomplishment here yeah and just to close out like the the time question thing my last thing is like i think that's like that cannot be someone's central film criticism point is that it's too long like aaron and i talk about this various times when we're talking about a movie too but we'll, we'll bring in like other elements as to like why it might be too long or uh or uh other pieces of film criticism but i don't like that a central premise is it's too long and it's kind of boring it's like that's that's like can we try a little bit harder when we're, you know, thinking about a movie? But um, I digress. I mean, you're talking to somebody. I remember there was a tweet um, that was about Lord of the Rings, the, the movies and the extended editions. And somebody was like, if you had, 
if you if there was like a chance to win like 10 million dollars to watch these movies in 24 hours would you do it i was like i did that for free yeah but... <laughs> yeah one weekend and also the extended Saturday, versions are I, much fuller and better i watched all three back to back to back i think our friends day. do it I'm every not... year yeah. at the same time there are people that do it all the time like this is not a challenge yeah <laughs> i'm not i'm not intimidated by a long movie but i do agree exactly. that there's there is a way to discuss the length of this which i'm sure we'll get into in, in spoiler territory um and you know if the movie is paced poorly if it's poorly acted if the script isn't up if it feels boring that's gonna make you know i've watched movies that were 90 minutes that i was sure i was there for five hours sure yeah of course yeah. Um, and that's not the issue here yeah, that's um, yeah, that is common. Um, getting back to this very quickly, I, I kind of want to ask you guys about, and this will get us into like the plot details. But um, the book is different from the the film adaptation of it. Uh, the book I think centers more on I think the the sub sub uh, title for the book is is the origin or the birth of FBI. Um, this movie is much more focused on the destruction of the Osage people through Willem Hale and and his cohort. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm curious what you guys thought about that. It's not a change. Like, it's, it is a change but because there's still an FBI element in here. But it it does, like what people have been saying, there's like a different point of view for this movie. So I'm curious I, what you guys think about that. I like that, you know, by the time Jesse Plemons shows up as Tom White, that I forgot he was in this movie. Like, right. I was so wrapped <laughs> up and I was so wrapped up in watching the story of of Molly and Ernest. And you know the and the king that mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me that like oh yeah that's right we actually have to like get to some sort of resolution at some point because all these terrible things keep happening mm-hmm. so like yeah I mean what hearing various interviews and listening to Martin's you know Scorsese talk about you know making those choices and, and Leo being you know a large part of that and what have you it's like yes I am glad that you know for a movie that very easily could have been. Uh, focused on you know the FBI agents and whatnot. I'm I'm much happy. It's much more satisfying, as depressing as it can be when you look at you know the whole frame of things. That you have a story that really gives a point of view to the people that actually suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's going to speak to just how well this movie holds up. I think going years forward, that you know in the realm of so many films throughout history that put a lot of focus on the white guys uh this is one that's like horrible things happen to native americans and here's a movie that actually wants to spend time with them and like really get you to understand what that means and what what kind of you know how our american history um how we can really look at it if we actually put the lens in a different perspective for a change mm-hmm. yeah i i agree um and and obviously we know a lot about the development of this movie in a, in a way that we don't tend to know about most movies. Um, Including that, that famous still that we saw for like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing I that the, scene I, I did the was point. great. You did, did the, the point Leo. in the theater? I did the Leo point. <laughs> it was great. And it's funny that they've, they've actually acknowledged it uh, right. on their Twitter account. They put the scene up, which is pretty, pretty, pretty funny. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I, I definitely was like, okay, at some point the FBI is going to show up just because I knew that Jesse Plemons was in the movie and he was playing Tom White and the FBI has to show up because we need to resolve this situation. Um, but I was, I was even, I think I was impressed by how that happened. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like I was impressed by what happened before then. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is, I'm intrigued by what we're getting into now. 
which is why I almost feel like I could have had like 10, 15 more minutes of this, of this movie of just mm-hmm. sort of extending out um, the investigation a bit. But, you know, by that point I was kind of like, okay, well, we also do need to wrap this story, sure. <laughs> the story up. Yeah. There's, there's like, you know, there's only so long one particular character can deal with what they were dealing with before we needed some right. the finality uh-huh. of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think, you know, I think what's much more interesting is to see the length of the crime, the insidious, the insidiousness of it. Right. And then be like, and here's the resolution. Yeah. And like a full movie of like digging into all these investigations and finding out all this detail and then having like the big thing being the trial. Cause by that point, you know, you're kind of just like, this is just awful. Like we're just, we're just, even, even when you get resolution, you're not going to get the, the, what you really need. Sure. Yeah, Cause it doesn't, there's no, like, it doesn't require like a mystery or a sense of like, cause yeah. like, Gabe, you, you mentioning spoilers, like I get it as far as yes, it's, you know, it's one thing to have a general idea. It's another thing to lay out exactly what happens, but it's like, we, we know who these characters are. Like I, right. there's no point where you're like, you're introduced to Robert De Niro and you're like, I wonder if he's a good guy. Like you, yeah, like, yeah. so there's no uh, brilliant performance too. There's no yeah we'll talk about these yeah, performances. We'll talk there's about no, the performances. There's no there's no sense of like uh, you have you're waiting to you know discover what's really happening here. No so, no yes yeah. so yeah so it's like the FBI stuff like it's a it's it's a necessity because of just history but it's like but it's you know there's yeah it's not trying to reveal something new to you it's like oh these guys are really that bad so yeah, yeah and, think, and oh go ahead no I was gonna say I I think you know from the original question I I think it would have been just. I haven't read the book. I'm sure that the book is very compelling um, in a very uh, maybe like a true crime type of way that that the author wrote it, um, David Grant. But I think what you would have seen, and this is my estimation, but I think that it would just would have been like, well, I'm doing this investigation and then let me go spotlight and ask questions around, well, what happened to your sister, Anna, you know, and then you kind of talk, you have like this Anna part, right? And then this, the way that they've decided to make it in this movie, it's just, I'm living with these people. You know what I mean? Like I'm embedded mm-hmm. with these people yeah. and I'm watching it unfold and I'm like horrified at what I'm watching unfold. And then when it finally gets to like the FBI part, I'm still, again, this is where I was like, I'm still like really cold watching this movie. Like my feet were cold too physically, but um, I'm still cold because there's a line that when the chiefs say to like, uh, to Tom White, he's like, we had to go to Washington. We had to pay you to come here. So, and I was like, I don't know if justice is going to really be served here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where I was like, oh, I, again, like you're you're running like this this marathon in like, you know, the hottest temperatures, and you're not really sure where the finish line is, and you're not really sure if there's going to be like water stations throughout this marathon. And I think that that was a very interesting way to shoot this movie because otherwise it was just like great you know uh either leo dicaprio who was originally going to be, be playing the tom white character or you have jesse Plemons, just pure fbi guy and they're just investigating throughout the whole thing and it becomes very procedural and you're just like i i which I, you you've seen that movie exactly yeah. like yeah. that regardless of if it's this particular story you've seen that movie before that doesn't mean like if scorsese made it, it would be bad it'd probably be fine but like right when you look at this and you think we needed Scorsese and two hundred million dollars to get some sort of sympathetic story told about this very specific situation. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, that's yeah, it's right. ridiculous yeah. that that's what like it. And it took what 
nearly a century for two HBO shows to like show you, hey, here's what happened in Tulsa back in the day, by the way, for people to like be caught up on that kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, I think in particular, it's been really fascinating um, sort of digging into the, the, the history. It's like, I honestly think, I mean, there definitely is a way to make this movie focusing on the FBI, right? Sure. Because it's like their first big murder case mm-hmm. investigation under J. Edgar Hoover mm-hmm. as director. America's hero. Um, yeah, it's it's which is why I kind of like the way that it's done here. Yeah. It's like it's not just like, oh, here's the the big bad FBI came into town and helped solve all this problem. It's like, look at what it took to get them there. Right. And then they get there and then they do the job. But like that's just it. It's just a job. So it's like it's not it's you know, their place in history, you know, isn't overly magnified at right. the expense of all of the other people who lived and were involved in this. Right. And um, then I think, I think that, really that smart. Yeah, I think that at that point too, you you sort of still have like what would ostensibly call the white savior complex if it was FBI focused. Cause then you have characters saying like, Oh, these people have suffered such a great deal. You know, it's like I don't need a white guy to tell me this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I experiencing it firsthand watching her sisters die one by one, uh, you know, her mother kind of like having suspicions, even herself having suspicions, uh, Molly Burkhardt having suspicions early on. It's like, it's such a weird thing. And I think there's the FBI thing would have made it maybe a little bit too cerebral because at the end of the day, like again, William Hale, Ernest Burkhardt and, uh, what's their brother's name? Uh, Brian, uh, Byron. Byron. Yeah. It's like Brian or Byron, Byron, Byron. Um, they're not like this conspiracy is like just so like obvious too. Right. So it's like, if I were to have the, the FBI perspective on this, I think it would have been, they, they would have maybe overthought it. Like, Oh my gosh, like this goes all the way to the top. Like, of course it does. But these people are like, so like, they knew inept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They knew. Yeah. It's like th- these people can come sometimes very inept in the way that they do things like including Leonardo DiCaprio because like telling a guy like you have to go do this event right now or I'm going to go tell my uncle. I was like, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, I, I think that it was really, really a thoughtful thing to have it be based off of um, the Osage more the Osage point of view, because and then Christopher Cote, who is the Osage uh, translator, has come out and said that he appreciates Scorsese's vision, but he also wonders what it would have been like to have uh, mm-hmm. a Native American person really tell the story. Yeah, I I really appreciated getting to hear his perspective because um, it, it reminds me just a lot of like, you know, when I the color purple was like the example I brought up where it's hmm. like, obviously very very popular black movie directed by somebody who is not black and like steven spielberg is a great filmmaker and but he's he's not black so it's like what what does that version you know what does that movie look like with with informed experience um and and for for chris um you know it's like even even though it does take into account more the Osage perspective it still is mainly centered on the white guy so it's like but it's like but it's Martin Scorsese so like how far you know he he was referencing like you know for the story to be told the way maybe the 100% way he would want to see it it would need to be sure. done by somebody in his community um that he still enjoyed the film for what it was um so I really enjoyed getting to hear his perspective on that 
with all this mind in mind concerning the perspectives, I am just glad that between this movie and Judas and the Black Messiah, Jesse Plemons is keeping the FBI afloat in the public consciousness. That's that's really <laughs> and oh playing God, both sides. <laughs> very very true to life. Um, you want to talk about some performances? Let's talk about these performances. Yeah. Um, let's start with Leo. Um, mm-hmm. I. You know, it's hard. It's hard to like narrow down like his best performance of this because he's just so fucking consistent. But um, he's really, he's very selective with his work. He's really great in this movie. Yeah. Like again, with Scorsese specifically too. Like this, I what I really like about this the Ernest character is that I think DiCaprio. I think he's best at playing dim. Like I like slightly like someone that's like capable but dim. I think he's really that's a real zone he works at well. Where if he's like overconfident, it's like it's less so or whatnot. But if he's someone that's like got a chip on his shoulder and is trying to like work into something, I think he can nail that really well. And he's done that a couple times in Scorsese movies at this point. And this one is just the way he's he's centering himself to be this sort of like he always has this kind of like frown on his face throughout the entire movie. And he has mm-hmm. a certain kind of disposition throughout the film. Where even when he's like flirting with Molly, like it just there's just something about him that's so specific that just I I'm so pleased to see like this actor who's you know done a variety of things and you know his final one is Oscar what have you and he's still like finding new ways to impress me. I, I think he's just absolutely great in this movie and the fact that his character is so it's such a weird like to like the fact that I I I can I can think of like multiple ways of how to interpret what he's that was actually going on in his head as far as what he actually feels about Molly, what he feels about the stuff he's doing with his uncle, like where that goes for him. And the fact that the film very deliberately doesn't like it, it just presents him without having a, a, you know, some answer to give to us, which is very similar to all Scorsese movies. That's why it's what people judge him on his gangster films. For example, it's like, he's mm-hmm. glorifying is like, he's not, he's just not like sugarcoating it for you or, you know, giving you a, an answer. He's like, you can make an opinion on yourself. If 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 you think Jordan Belfort's a really cool guy that had a lot of money, like that's your problem, not Scorsese. It's like he knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, no, I think Leo is just incredible in this film. Um, I have to disagree. You don't think he's good? <laughs> Tell I us. Think, I think that in his quieter moments is where the performance really shines. Um, a, a lot of the scenes that he has with Lily Gladstone are really really good i think i it, it's a half good performance half terrible um okay it's <laughs> so, like i like i think he really does bring some interesting nuance into the quieter moments or i'm th- even thinking about when the moment where like robert de niro's character william is trying to get him to sign something mm-hmm. that scene i was like okay that's good leo the problem i have with the performance is that it feels like he's making big choices nearly at all times and in trying to bring forth the dimness in trying to bring forth the sort of out of out of his depthness in what this big thing is it becomes more about the teeth and the furrowed brow and the gestures rather than feeling like a lived-in character. I disagree. I like. I, I, well, I see you that. can disagree. I, I yeah. know. I just. I, I've got. Dis- so, I still got a way in there. Hold on. And you can disagree, <laughs> and that's fine. But like, I, it, that stuff. I think leaned on Leo's worst impulses, as an, as as. And this is coming as, as somebody who dis- dislikes the Revenant and, and 
is going to be mad forever that that is what won him the Oscar and not Wolf of Wall Street. It's like it's leaning into like capital A acting. But there is so there's good acting in the performance. I'm thinking about that scene with Molly at the table. Uh, you know, the end, yeah. I'm thinking about it just. I wrote in my review that I just don't think Leo has enough weasel in him. In this performance. Yeah, there's not enough weasel. There's not enough like there never was a moment where he's got like like where he's like shrunk or where he's been squished down so much that when he springs back it feels like a guy who's been smushed it it because leo's star power is so great um i never really got that and he's making so many big choices but i do think that there's some really lovely moments within this performance even as i you know wasn't liking it as a whole all all of the quieter stuff even the scene you know where where molly asks him a very important question mm mm-hmm. It's like, I'm like, okay, like that I'm vibing with. But some of the other stuff, I was just like, this we're just going so big and making so many capital C choices yeah, that it's not quite jiving with me. We are a weird trifecta on tonight's podcast because I'm like in the middle of both of you guys. You hated all the quiet scenes and like his big scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I need Leo to be acting King Kongish. Yeah. No, there, there was a, um, I, I'm actually kind of the opposite. I, I think it's like, for me, it's like a tale of two halves. Because for the first parts of the movie, I was like, this is Leo. Like I'm looking at Leo and I am noticing some teeth uh, and I'm noticing some stuff. I think like toward the middle and the third act, I was like, Oh, here's where, here's where I think some of the subtleness is coming from. So, Terrence, I kind of agree with you there, like especially some, especially the sequence where I think where it starts for me is when he's uh, there's like the inferno scene, but then there's also the scene kind of afterward where he's talking to uh, Jesse Plemons at the door, and then later on, I started noticing more of like the the frown in his face, and I was like, oh, this guy, he's he has enveloped into the character at this point but earlier on i did have like uh again some distancing issues of just not that he was like a pretty boy and i'm just like oh it's it's he's too pretty to play this guy it's more of like he never really goes full fredo either where it was like oh he, he's actually he is kind of dim but he kind of knows that he's not the best and it's kind of painted out that way but he never goes into like i'm running this show kind of thing too which i think would be even more capital a acting but um, yeah, it, it took me a little bit to get used to Leo, and I, I, I think in my rankings of the of the three, like he'd be third. Um, uh, I don't disagree with that. I just don't think he's really villain. good in the movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Understandable. I, but yeah, I, I think that there's like some really beautiful, subtle things, especially like when he's talking to um, De Niro uh, with bars in between them, and I was like, oh, this is like some good stuff here. Um, and again, he kind of reverts into Wolf of Wall Street mode where he's got to talk to these feds and he's kind of like, you know, not really sure uh, about what's what, not, not that the, the two performances are very different, but just more of, Oh, I see the, like the more of like a, a, a physical performance because he's doing stuff with his hands. He's doing stuff with his facial features. He's like slapping himself at times. It's like, there's like some good stuff going on here uh, toward the end where it's, it's a little bit more of playing on a conscious of, do I actually love my wife or, you know, do I, do I just care about like getting money? And that, that's uh, an interesting question to ask. I mean, I, that, that's the crux of the performance to me, the, like what he's doing as far as 
where is this guy's motivation? And I think that I think Leo is pushing you as a viewer to constantly consider that. And like I Terrence, if you don't like it, you don't like it. I get it. But like I I've seen those performances and other people that have fucking won Oscars for these things that like do the acting thing very high. Like I did I just I believe it with him. I believe it with who this guy's supposed to be and what he's going for. Like I don't there's not a point where I where I don't recognize this as human behavior that's being shown right yeah. now from this guy. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd just add, I to Abe, what you were saying as far as like kind of getting on board of the character, like I can agree with that to an extent as far as, yes, I'm watching this movie for the first time, so I don't know who this guy is. I just see Leonardo DiCaprio, and then I'll learn who he is as right, the movie right. goes on. I do think that's the kind of thing where when I see this movie again, which I will, like right. that'll fade very quickly because I just I already have a sense of who this character is at this point. I'm not saying that that makes it flawless or there's no reason to you know point out anything you might you know not think shines or what have you. I just think that's my that's the perspective I have on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that I believe the character because the script needs me to, versus like I believe the character because of Leo's performance. 100% got me there. Um, and I, I do agree with you, Abe, in terms of like the second half. Like as, as, and this, this is what, ugh, this is what made me so mad about the bigger moments and why every time he was trying to go big, I was like, please stop. <laughs> because there's like really interesting, that scene at the door you're referencing, um, the bombing, stuff surrounding the bombing. Mm-hmm maybe not like the the go go go-ness of it but just like the reaction to it and he's doing he is doing some good work in this movie but like i i just never felt like he dove deep into it Hmm. like what's being presented on screen is not a deep dive it's sort of like i'm playing this character I, I think I th- I mean you mentioned like you know needing more of a weasel aspect to, like I think like that's the kind of stuff I think would throw me off where I think it'd be too obvious to me like well, I feel like can I mm-hmm. obviously the movie is what it is uh-huh if Jesse Plemons and Leo switch roles, roles yeah you know that that kind of you know, and I don't. I don't mean weasel to mean bad. I just mean weasel to be like. No, I don't. I don't mean bad. But I mean, but I, I think the like the vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think the intentionality of that kind of characteristic. I think that makes the that's that elevates a performance to, to something that stands out in a different sort of way. Where I think a lot of these supporting characters we get in here, there are weasels, like very obvious. Well, ones. yeah, I think. Yeah. And this, I'll, I'll take us to De Niro because I think. Yeah, sure. The reason why I feel this way about Leo is because of how strongly I feel like Robert De Niro. Is absolutely phenomenal in this movie. Well, he's Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but but he's like he's De Niro in a Scorsese movie. <laughs> there was never, and and it's great when they do movies together. <laughs> they're one, yeah, they're really wonderful. Is. They're you know, it's a it's a brilliant pairing, one of the most iconic pairings in cinema history. Mm-hmm. But like, I look at De Niro. There is not a moment in this movie that I did not feel 100% invested in that character or that he was doing too much or that he was doing too little like that the performance is so pitch perfect and he's playing the most evil motherfucker in this mm-hmm. piece arguably I I agree with you entirely I guess that and, but it's not it's like he didn't go to mustache twirliness sure he didn't go yeah. super over the top it's like it's it's just pitch perfect and that's what I'm saying, sort of balancing off of 
Leah and like yes we know that Leah's character is sort of being manipulated and prodded and 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 is is very dim while he's dealing with sort of this evil mastermind but it's like I really appreciated I felt like De Niro was was that guy like lived in yeah and was working within the confines of this movie and using his star persona in an interesting way that really lent to that um which is why I'm so high on him. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that entirely. I would just say I wouldn't like if I'm comparing it to something like Daniel Day Lewis versus Joseph Gordon Levitt or Paul Dano in those movies where he's clearly acting them off the screen. Like, I don't think Leo's there. I don't think Leo's like I, I would say Daniel Day Lewis was acting Paul Dano off the screen and there will be blood. Sorry, They're what? both acting at, at the top of their game. One of them just has a lot to do. sure and that's the lesser example i think the joseph gordon levitt one in lincoln i think is an easier example as far as Mm. you can see you can see one versus the other there's a huge difference yes and i i don't think leo's there i don't i don't uh, like it feels like no he's not not getting blasted off the screen by robert de niro but i'm just like leo is maybe up is like 55 60 percent and de niro is like a hundred just in terms of like sure the the like that I have for the performance, that's fair. My, yeah, my I, number I'm, would be higher. <laughs> wow, one hundred and two. No, I I'm, I'm a huge De Niro is fantastic in this movie, and everything that you're talking about, Terrence, I I would agree with because I think there's like the smarminess that he has is there, and yet there's also like this. I think that I'm the head of this, you know, giant corporate conspiracy, but he's also still not very bright too, and but he's also very aware of like his time is a very big uh theme in this movie like things run out um, and he's thinking about himself he's like you know nobody's gonna forget or everyone's gonna forget about us but they won't forget about like the things that i've done and yet you know the things that you did were terrible um and he's playing like so many sides like there's there's not even a duality there's like a a triality a quadality you know to this this guy uh king hale because he's got to a befriend the osage people b take advantage of them and then see like run his two nephews uh, to do things that are like quote unquote gangster shit. But it's all just like really dumb things like, Oh, well where's like this aces guy that knows explosives explosives. Like, I don't know. I've never seen him before. Like, well go find somebody who can, you know, stuff like that where it, like, it's never wildly like out of range for De Niro. That's why I think that he's so fantastic in this. Like, I don't think that there was even any scene where I was like, he's overplaying it or um, there's like no scene where he's like, he's underplaying. It's like, it's all perfectly well done. Like even the scene where he's like getting a shave and he's talking to Tom White, which is a very like, uh, it could be seen as like, well, you don't really need to be, have a scene this long. It's like, it's uh, a very chilling scene. <laughs> and De Niro and, and uh, Plemons are both playing off, off of each other very well. So, yeah, I mean, there's even things that are so ridiculously like they're not mustache switchy, like what someone said, but they're so evil. They're just like, let me show up at this photo op um, and then tell this guy that like he's got to go. He's unknowingly uh, unknowingly going to have to like murder some guy later that night or let me go and comfort this young child that I've seen grow into like this young woman who is now married, who is very, who's fallen sick. And let me quote unquote, pray for her. I was like, this is some crazy stuff. Like this guy is just pulling fastball after fastball after fastball. And it's, it's a, it's throughout the whole movie. It's very constant. So De Niro, a plus. I'll go a step 
further with like how well I think he's adapted this character. I, I think I think he's playing King as a person that fully believes himself to be a friend to the Native American people. Agreed. I don't think he I don't I, like this. And with, along with that, he is a horrible racist man who will do anything he can to gain wealth because he believes he is superior uh, because they are just natives in the area and he can do that. He has, he has that right, but he's also good. He's also goes to their, you know, their rituals. He, he knows their language. Like he did like, that is, it is, uh, that is an insane person that can like pull this kind of thing off and succeed at it. And yeah. to the extent that he had, and the is absolutely channeling that and going even further we we haven't talked to, we haven't talked about much about like the thematics of the story too much and we can keep on the performances but just to reference what De Niro's doing, I, I don't think it's hard to call to mind certain political figures De Niro is thinking of in playing this role. I, I think you can link yeah. this to, to a number of people. Um, whether or not he's you know the King Hale who existed is as smart as them or you know whatever differences or what have you, I you you can invest your thoughts in this movie into how it compares to what things are like today. And I think right. that's very much on De Niro's mind specifically and how yeah. he's playing William King Hale. I thought that same exact thing with one specific sequence as well, but um, you guys want to get to Lily Gladstone. Yeah. The last of the, the major three. Yeah. She's really good. Um, <laughs> I think that she has the least to do. From like a trio. plot standpoint, sure. From yeah. plot standpoint, I think that she, but in doing so, is burdened with like the emotional heft of the whole thing, which is a tough, is a tough place to be. Um, and I think that, you know, she's just incredibly gifted at conveying things with a simple look. Um, I believed every bit of Molly's like love for Ernest and Molly's like increasing trepidation, but still something in her spirit, keeping her from fully going there. Like it's a, it's a really interesting, there's, there's like a genre of movie um, internet coin called women, uh, women who lie to themselves. Mm. And like, this isn't quite that, but it certainly Lily's performance is sort of towing the line between like a woman ignoring everything, a woman lying to herself and a woman trying mm. to put the puzzle pieces together, but just being sure. stuck in like the most bonkers out there scenario possible. You know, even mm. it's like, okay, like I know everybody around me is getting murdered. All of my family is dying. I'm dealing with this health condition. My husband is strange but i'm not telling myself i'm not not feeling the thing so like it was it was a really good balance i think in the performance of of figuring that out of walking that tightrope mm -hmm. um i really enjoyed her in the movie uh she's aces for me she's she's the mvp of this movie for me for all the things that you said but also for all um of again how magnetic her character is that i want to see more of her when she's on the screen with de niro or even when she's on the screen with dicaprio more often uh, i'm so drawn toward what her facial expression is saying or how she's behaving in the scene um and she gives some some uh some huge range things here too like sometimes she's bedridden but sometimes she's just so 
devastated by what has happened to one of her sisters or a member of her family or something like that. And it's it's very well done. And she, I, I was first introduced to her. I think she's done some other movies, but I was first introduced to her from Reservation Dogs, where she plays like the mother of of Daniel, their classmate. She's that's like one of the best episodes, in my opinion, of of the um, of the series, where uh, one of the characters has to go see her in prison. Um, and um, again, she's kind of doing the same things in that episode too, where it's a lot of facial. It's a very low key performance. Um, not a whole lot has to be said, and yet she's doing a whole lot with it. But um, yeah, she is fantastic, and I would I would hope that she has um, a real chance at an Oscar. She absolutely does. Like that's that seems like a a no doubt there. Whether she wins, we'll see. But yeah, she's mm-hmm. certainly going to be in that com- in that nomination cycle. And uh, like certain women from Kelly Riker, that was like her breakout film. But yeah, she, mm-hmm. she doesn't she doesn't have like huge filmography as of yet. But like between you know, but among the things that she's done since then, and yeah, this movie now it's going like, to really rocket her to you know more more success uh, ideally um yeah uh, you can see why she is very good here and she occupies the role i would say somewhere to something like tommy lee jones and no country for old men where you're following oh, interesting you're following and more like structurally like you're sure, following sure. you're following brolin in that movie and Shigur is obviously a very intense figure that leaves an impression much like dicaprio and de niro do in this movie but if you're you know by the end of that film and the end of this film like if you're walking away just thinking like what's Ernest up to like I think you're doing this movie wrong like the 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 Molly character is so pivotal to so much of what's happening here because of what that investment is in this relationship and what she symbolizes given that she's you know the the main Osage character in this film like that's so important to all of this I represent like with Tommy Lee Jones because yeah like he, by the end of it like you're really seeing things through his eyes right. in this movie yes it's so much matters to understand like where where have we come after all of this like what 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 did the fbi solve what have you like where where are we leading left off and it really comes down to like where's molly's perspective what is mm-hmm. what does she see in in earnest at this point in time and then we you know we talk about the epilogue if we want to later but like what does that amount to i mean there's and and, and you know in structuring it that way and making it and putting like you mentioned uh terrence putting the heft of the emotional weight onto gladstone uh, yeah, she absolutely nails it. She does exactly what she's needed to do here um, as far as the way she's shot, the way she's portrayed in this movie, the way she has to navigate a lot of physical performance stuff kind of midway through when she's not given the time to like have big dialogue scenes, but instead has to like portray a sense of pain and suffering in the midst of all these horrible things going on. Like that's a lot of hard work for an actor right. to have to like deal with. And, you know, knowing that the film relies on a lot of this to work yeah it's a it's a really great performance yeah are there any other characters side characters you guys want to quickly shout out before we get into like really like deep just everything toy toy i mean plemons is always in the zone here yeah plemons is fantastic it's just i think that every supporting actor in this even even down to the bit parts and the day players Mm -hmm. is really well cast like i it actually was very heartening (laughs) To see a movie like I felt like I was in Oklahoma at that point in time, just right. by the nature of the the faces. I think sometimes Hollywood gets too wrapped up in like beautiful faces. Yeah, and I think about like I've thought about this when when I watch a lot of foreign films. I'm like, just like look at the faces of the people who get to be stars, but also have like big parts in the movies, 
in like other countries. That's a that's a huge thing I said about when evil works. Um, that it's it's so interesting to watch an Argentinian movie where they just look like people, like they're not manicured yeah. movie stars. They're just people yeah. doing this. Yeah, and and listen, I I love a you know a beautiful movie star, but uh, here I I'm glad that they cast and were and acted uh, very in tune with the the place. Yeah. Uh, I definitely agree with you on all the day players and all the sidecasts. I I kind of want to specifically call out uh, the the woman who plays Anna, her sister, Kara um, Jade Myers. Yeah, she's she's really good uh, in the performance. And then I also want to really call out Jason Isbell, who I've never really seen or heard of before. I was like, this guy is I can't put a finger on this guy. Like, if he's smarmy or if he's like a jerk or or if he actually yeah. like to protect his family. I was like. But he's really good in this movie. He's really uh, good playing the most annoying man possible. <laughs> he yes, just yeah. has a he has such a like just from like look alone. Like when he enters a scene, you're like, I feel annoyed by this. Yes, guy. yeah. Like, and he's not even like a bad person. He's anything. He's a good person. But it's like, right. This man just seems to upset the surroundings. <laughs> yeah, and he's got like some really funny lines. Like, do you want a drink? Well, I didn't offer you one. It's like what? He's largely a musician. That's why you haven't seen him. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. but yeah, everybody. I, I I agree with you, Terrence. Like, there's like a lot of faces here. Like, this is like a good face, you know. Uh, and again, there there's just I, I think this is the thing that I also thought about dur- during the the movie is like, this is why uh you know you cast extras um and also this is why you you can probably cast locally as well, but like when they have these crane shots of the city, you know, Main Street. And there's just it's just filled with people. It's like this is again a good thing, you know. It makes it feel like you're actually watching a movie that is like what Terrence has been saying, lived in versus just let's have some like digital recreations or let's have like one or two um, and kind of make it look like there's some people walking through towns. Like this is like a town out in the 1920s Oklahoma and beyond. So, um, I, I'm not sure who plays like the older man that kind of becomes this middleman, like assassin character who has, guy with like, like the weird eye. Yeah, and he's like eight kids, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah that that like, guy, I I loved that performance. He's super effective in yeah, this his movie. Name is Ty <laughs> like Mitchell who plays John Ramsey. That's Ty Mitchell. That's who it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he is doing the job here. Agreed. Um, and the uh, the character who's like he dresses like all black. Um, Kelsey. He's played by Louis uh, Cancellami. Um, he has some he like for a movie that you know it's not built on you know, comedic moments. He has a few good lines. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, as far as how he kind of addresses what Insurance. he gets a level of cons- uh, comeuppance. Yeah. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very entertaining yeah. um, in the midst of all this. Yeah. Um, can we just briefly talk about some, some extra things that it might be in spoiler territory? Let's uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Terrence, you had some stuff you want to talk about toward the end. Yeah. So I, I've been struggling with this in terms of, I think that Scorsese did a really good job of giving every character the fullness of their life. And by that, I mean like not shying away necessarily from how painful their deaths were. But I do think the final two death scenes that we see, so the one in the car, um, I can't remember that guy's name. Um, uh, the, the, the moonshine guy? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then her sister Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I don't know. I those are the two that I was like, okay, that that is where I think you would have an interesting critique of like 
Scorsese is definitely not glorifying these moments, but like specifically as this guy is on trial telling us all about exactly what they did and then us seeing it, I was kind of like, man, do I really need this? And 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 I was talking to these guys before this podcast that my dad had seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, he Scorsese doesn't want you he he added the the us seeing it because he really wanted you to remember it. And I'm like, after I saw somebody the half of somebody's head fall out, I think I think I was pretty understanding about how evil and awful these people were. So I think in terms of like the latter part of the movie, I think it was Scorsese was sort of really wrestling and and Eric Roth who who co-wrote the screenplay, really wrestling with like how do we wrap this thing up? And continue to keep the awful, chilling feeling feeling that you had, but I'm I'm just not quite sure. I'm just not quite sure. I think it's a presentational thing. Like I, I hear you. Um, I yeah. think I but I do think like for at first you discover her death in a way where it's like, well, that's horrible. Yeah. But like, but then you see it in the way which is handled like all the other deaths in this movie. That's just cavalier. There's just a a matter of factness to it. Uh, whether that's necessary or not, I do think we're at a point where we keep repeating a lot of the same themes as far as what awful things have transpired and how we're not learning from it. So the same reason like Spike Lee is happy to use certain footage in various movies because it's like if if I didn't if things had changed or evolved for the better, I wouldn't need to keep making the same points. I feel mm-hmm. like that's part of that here where we're only just now learning about these Osage murders in a way that's being presented in a much more you know, everybody in America is going to be like have access to doing this compared yeah. to if you specifically had to seek it out or what have you. I, you know, it's either here or there as far as you know whether I, I really needed that or not. But I do think that the, that's what Scorsese is after. It's like I, I want to not only hit the, you know, I not not only want to like make the point, but I want to really make it land and make it stick. And that's if if we're not going to get another version of this story for quite some time, just by you know nature of how these things work. Yeah, I think it it really makes sure to round that corner and then like just show you, yeah, this is terrible. Like this, we're really yeah, but, yeah. And I and I think you mentioned like the presentation, like it's it's for presentation, and like I I agree. So this is not me saying that I I don't agree. I think the reason why I, I struggle with it in terms of how it's presented and when, mm. um, is because at, at first I was like, okay, we are we have taken our time in this movie and that is great, but we are now hurtling towards an ending. And so anything that feels like it's taking it, anything that feels like it's moving us backwards in the story. Um, the, the, it's, it's, it's like the vibes of it. Just, I can just understand that. It, it, it's a different, it's a break from how the film's being presented. Yeah. yeah Cause the rest the of the courtroom it. sequence at that point. Right. Yeah. And I, and and like I said, I can only speak for me, but like thinking, tying, you mentioned like the presentation of how they deal with the sister being found and what they do in the immediate aftermath, seeing that, and then having the investigation and then this guy on the stand tell, like I was going back in the movie in my mind being like, oh my God, like this thing that I saw uh-huh. is now part of this investigation versus like needing to see the 
reenactment of what he is saying. So I think it, it's just the balance there is is something that I've been been struggling with. Like I I totally yeah. get why, and it's like you know if if I'm Martin and I want to be like every character's life and death is equally important. That's something that I would put in the movie. Like yeah. their the horribleness of the end is also a part of their story, not the full story, but it is a part of it. So yeah. Yeah, it's weird because I, I also essentially like viewed it that way because my takeaway from it was just um uh this guy's on the stand and this is the guy that Aaron was referencing, like he kind of just like dresses in all black and he's got like a very like very uh particular face. Um, but yeah, like a, in a folksy way of talking, so it's yeah, all, it yeah. makes him stand out. He, he could have been in uh, the the Battle of Buster Scruggs, for all I know. He um, reminds me of like a Garrett Dillahunt. Like that's oh, okay, friend. yeah, yeah, big gun. Um, but uh, there's, I think what um, what I was kind of seeing in that moment was, well, there's this guy telling me that he's recounting how he killed one of these women, um, and then the thing is, like, he's so like calm about it about this terrible thing that happened and then you see it and like both he and byron are just so like well let's just go back home like we've killed this person here let's just leave her here and then like we're just gonna go back home because immediately because he describes how byron is just he goes home and and byron's actually not even in his own house he, he actually goes over to uh uh molly's house and molly's one that gives him the pillow uh to to sleep on and they're just like, well, I guess we got drunk and we killed somebody. And like, let's just fucking go back up. Like, how callous these and these people are um, in what they've done, and how uh, they they basically just never even thought about the life that they're taking. They're just like, well, you know, like what Aaron said earlier, like all this shit is ours, isn't it? And uh, it's just like I, I think that Scorsese, like, yes, I, I agree that this is the thing that I was talking about earlier. I was like, oh, they told me about something and then they showed me later, and I, I didn't think they were going to show me. It's like I, I I didn't mind it as much. It's kind of just more of um it just added more to like, man, these SH people have suffered a lot because it's yeah. not a very quick scene either. Like No, it's not. She falls over like a couple times because they're all drunk. And I'm just like, I don't like I know where this is gonna go, but I don't like the setup here. And again, Scorsese in a different Scorsese movie, they'd be like rock and roll music and like a, a funny line after uh, she dies. But in this one, it's just again very like and you're ahead of it too, because if he's described to you what happened that night, exactly. Yeah. So there's like that that suspense build of just like, I don't like where this is going. And again, yeah. like you know, I think that there's just when you cut back to the courtroom scene, like again, these people are just they just don't care, and you're just like, man, fuck these people, right? So um, yeah, I think maybe you said something about suspense, and maybe that's what I'm hitting at because at the same time this is happening, I'm like, is Molly gonna leave this man? Hmm. And I, I, Scorsese, and this is why he's a master, because in in her final scene with Ernest was about the last time I could see this woman talk to this man, knowing what had happened to her. <laughs> so yeah. If she does not do do something, I I might have to walk out of this theater because I, I was just at my wits end. Yeah. Um. It's why I find both characters fascinating because of that relationship. I I think it's such yeah. a interesting aspect to both of them as far as how much they know how much they're putting out there and what it is that brings them both together i think the film is constantly playing with that and yeah you get a, a something of a release by the end of it but i think right. that's that's what that's what helps me so much with 
appreciating what both actors are bringing to these performances. Yes. For, yeah, for that, specifically revolving around this relationship. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I was getting at with like, well, I feel like there's, an, there's I was also holding breath because I felt like there was another shoe that was going to drop because either, again, these people were going to go away with it or she's going to like just continue with with uh, Ernest Burkhart. Um, and I what I what I found fascinating about this is like, again, I, this is sort of where Christopher Cote was saying, he's like, well, you know, there's there's some empathy on the Ernest Burkhart side. And um, and I wasn't so sure. Like, I'm not. There was no empathy for me. Yeah, there was no empathy for me either. Um, but I the reason why is because at, at certain points, like I know that this guy is. While he may have said on the stand that he kind of just loves his wife and that his uncle never told him to marry uh, Molly Burkhart. Um, it was one of the situations where he probably incepted him and he probably thought of it as his own. Uh, but um, I. There's a point where he starts to where he mixes in the arsenic or whatever that that drug is with his own drink. Then he drinks mm-hmm. it too. I think it was uh, heroin. Is it heroin? Okay. I believe it's heroin. Yeah. 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 So whenever they're mixing the heroin with his drink, uh, in addition to her her penicillin or not her insulin shots, I was like, I wonder if he's just like really turning a corner here. And no, like no, this guy's a piece of shit. Like he is through and through a piece of shit that just has no real agency over himself. And the only time that he does is like when he's scared of like what might happen to him personally. So that's why when you brought up the whole entire, he's got to sign those documents or when he's like yelling at, um, well, that, I mean, that, but that's why I find it like so interesting. Cause it's like, yeah, he's a, like a bad guy, but like he's and that, cause that gets me to Terrence's point too. When you're talking about, he's not weasel. It's like, he's, he's under the thumb of his uncle. Like he's so clearly oppressed by this yet. He also has this love in his life. And that's that's the thing I find so interesting about Ernest. Whether or not DiCaprio is delivering for you on that, that's okay. That's subjective reading on for it. Sure. But like that's that that's what I find fascinating about. I mean, this that guy. was the stuff. I, like I don't, I, agree I, don't with I don't have I don't have a concrete answer on him. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it's such it's such an it's a, oh, it's I a do. Layer. It's a late. <laughs> I mean, yeah. In terms of like, do I would I hang out and like this guy? No, no I, I mean, I, I think I think Leo, to his credit, particularly at this part of the movie towards the end. I think that Leo does give you the concrete answer that you need is that, um, you know, he does love his wife and he also wants her dead. Yeah. It's a weird thing. And, but, and, but in why? his brain, like, I mean, <laughs> in his, in it's not, it's not so much. I think that the, the oppression, particularly as like the scheme has really built up to its crescendo is where I think Leo is the strongest in showing me what could have been um, in terms of like the weaseliness of the kid. Like I do, I do feel it at that point. It's more just leading us up into that is where I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, he, I do think he loved his wife and he also wanted her dead. And if he didn't, he wouldn't have gone along with killing everybody else in her family. Yeah. You know, I think that was actually one of the surprising parts to me is like when Scorsese is shooting, like filming these killing sequences, Leo's there. Like he's a part of it. And I was like, oh, I kind of wasn't expecting him to be like a first person. Like, let me go and beat up this private investigator. Let me go and kill some of these people. Like he's not, he's not doing all of them, but I was like, oh, he is heavily involved here. Like he's not just like, he's not, he's not just like a messenger. You know what I mean? And that's like, we're like, no, this guy's, he's a bad guy. And so, you know, when when it does come to the situation where he's in jail and he's talking to King and his his child has died uh, and um, he kind of realizes like, well, you know, I I do in some ways really do love my wife and I love my family. 
uh, that's the part where I was like, ah, I, I'm not sure how to feel about this character right now because he has done some terrible things and he probably, I hope he doesn't get away with it. So that's why it was such a relief, you know, Terrence, when they do have the situation, it was almost like a Jordan Belfort and, and, uh, um, whatchamacallit, uh, um, no, uh, who's, who's, Hill? <laughs> who's, who's the guy who plays Jonah Hill? Yeah. Jonah Hill, where it's like, Hey man, like your buddy Jonah Hill turned you in kind of thing. Uh, I was like, Oh, this is good. I'm glad that I'm glad that, uh, Ernest Burkhart is like, even though he might actually believe that he loves his wife, he's still underneath it all. Like, you know, this selfish guy. Um, and, I- uh, Mm-hmm. I do. I do also think like if you if he plays it like just that more degree weasel or evil or what have like I think it makes you feel less about Molly's character. It's like then I, I think you'd really question like why is she with this person who's so clearly the personification of evil? I, I mean, it is I like I get like it's cinema. So like it has to have a level of heightenedness to it. And you want it and it's Leonardo DiCaprio. So you can't make him like even if we can't sympathize or empathize with them, you, you can't make him like a horrible, disgusting human like it, it yeah. or at least without giving him something to go on and that relationship i think is so key where if you just beat him down and show him as just the worst person possible person i think i think the rest of the film suffers from that yeah it's weird because like you do see that like how he's like a drunkard with his buddies and then he mm-hmm. goes to go rob people of their jewelry and then just loses all that in the same night but then he goes back home and he's like let me care for my wife you know what i mean it's a weird like I, I again, I'm I'm still like kind of in the middle here, but I actually want to ask you guys, Terrence. You mentioned, or, or unless you guys have other thoughts about that, but um, Terrence, you mentioned like there were some parts where you wanted to cut. What were those parts? <laughs> I mean, I think those two deaths at the end were definitely what I would have. Oh, I see. Cut. Um, and I think, like I said, like I I definitely enjoyed this movie, but I do th- I do think I did not realize how long in time these characters lives it had been Mm -hmm. and like i'm seeing like you know like the toddler daughters i'm like okay we we passed time but i'm like even though i've been here for a long time i didn't feel it and so that's and that might just be a me thing um like i brought it up with the 12 years of slave thing where it's just like it felt like nothing changed in terms of their looks, in terms of their age, see, I I disagree there. Leo kind of disagree too. Leo, Leo specifically, he evolves as far as his style goes. That's something. Yeah, I was he very, definitely I was, got I nicer. Very, I was very much I, 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 that. But yeah, I, I'm just in, like the king stuck in time. That's his thing. He's 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 a person that yeah. is a, very much a a rock. Like yeah, yeah. He, there's no there's no alteration in his old plan. I, I like I, I hear you as far as like do we you know I'm not saying we need a timestamp or something like that, but like I. I would I say like the film really impacted me in terms of its movement and time and like no not yeah. necessarily but I wouldn't right. think I don't feel like that's a requirement of this so I'm not saying you do no I think it's, it's compared to something like 12 years like which I actually do agree with you on I feel like that movie if there's a if there's a flaw I have it's the fact that yes there's a way they could have communicated the actual time more this movie I just yeah I don't see it as a a, a clear element that needed to be communicated because there's only it's only like what like seven years or something like that i think it's like somewhere around that yeah but I, I i think in terms of yeah just think in, in in just in terms of like the the experience of it like i definitely do agree like i did notice leo's style ramping up yeah but i was like oh 
growing children. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was okay. actually a really cool move. Like, because uh, again, I don't, I, I don't necessarily like when when there's timestamps on a screen, either you know, title card or in the corner. Um, because if if it if it's necessary, then sure. But I also uh, like the way that this movie kind of just did without it. And what I liked about it is like what you're saying. They're growing children. There's also this notion of the suburbs all of a sudden. And then there's yeah, also that um, tripped me out. I said, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And and there's just really like interesting things that they do. Uh and then when they when they get to like the epilogue, which is if you guys want to talk about it, like a weird like show, um, including a of cameo by Martin Scorsese himself, uh, there's just a it becomes even more current. Where it's like, oh, these people died in like the 70s, you know what I mean? I was like, oh I shit. thought that was a really smart undercutting of the audience explain in that you know we're building up to the end of a courtroom trial yeah and in a way he's like i'm not going to show that would be the easy thing to do in this movie but like i'm going to show you just how silly this whole enterprise really is when compared with the actuality of what happened Hmm. so it got like it's absurd to have us go from a courtroom thing to like very reliable character actor whose name i cannot whose name i don't know but i've seen his face in seven million things it's like a radio show Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden martin scorsese comes out and you're just like oh because he's like reading you what has happened to molly in very matter of fact way and it felt very much like him being like i know i just showed you what happened but like here's how i probably felt getting to the end of that book Hmm. well yeah that's that's where it takes it the one step further because like the radio show i think it's brilliant i think it's an absolute brilliant epilogue to the story no it's smart it, it it it's yes it's like it's chopping off the thing to be like we don't you know you you can shoot we can we can show you the dramatized, you know, re- readings of things and people being divorced or what have you. But instead, it's like, not only were we not going to show you that, not only are we going to like give you a postscript of what happened, but we're going to do it in a way that's been watered down and filtered through a white lens. So now we have an over the top radio show produced by the FBI and Lucky Strike right. that has white people doing Indian accents that had your Native American accents that has all these different elements that basically presented in a way that would be like run, run out of a textbook but like in this like entertaining manner. So an audience can like get, you know, get something out of it in some way. And then it doubles over on that. And it's like, but Scorsese is going to come out and knock all of that away and give like a real serious reading of like what happened with Molly, just to like emphasize, Hey, like the, the Osage people had to deal with all of this nonsense, got nothing to show for it essentially. And here we are. And the, the, the only decent thing you can do after that is like, look, at least the Osage people still exist today here's a here's a tribal dance it's such a brilliant finale that like wraps up you know it has to give you all of these different emotions about how to feel about this and it's it's just great it's a it's a great way to stop here and and i think that's where i really want to watch it a second time uh again uh just to really um it's not that i was caught off guard by but i was like what is this that i'm watching because i was still fascinated (laughs) by it but i was like i and everything aaron said is true about just who's putting it on um, but yeah, like I would want to see, uh, I'd want to feel knowing what's coming up, just like how cold it cuts or how differently it cuts. I, I'm very curious to see it on second side. 
Um, yeah, so. that that and I I thought that was really really just smart and lots of movies do tonal shifts like that. In the mm-hmm. mood for love just popped into my mind. Oh, okay. As I I I like everything in that movie until that wild shift. <laughs> At the end, I was like, what the hell are you doing? Um and yeah. so and that very well could have been that that could have doomed this movie. But I think here, you know, he's like really showing you the absurdity of it. And then you get this really sincere. And I think hearing it read yeah. out loud, even with the people doing the accents, hearing it spoken versus reading it as like an end card really just William Hales what happens to him that just might be as as emotionally draining as everything that came before it I said this motherfucker really just lived his life and died in like a care facility right yeah, <laughs> like the, you, you got out on like good behavior. It's crazy. Right? Oh, like yeah. my goodness, you know. And I think, and I think having in that absurd way, but hearing that sort of really, it really landed for me. We, we Which I think spoken. is like to Aaron's point, it's like it's very circus. Like it's like let's just again trivialize it, what William Hill says in the movie is kind of true too. It's like nobody's gonna remember this, right? And it's it's only that we have historical records that people will go back and fact find and write books about them, whether the biographies or based off of real premises. And yeah, I mean like things like this happen all the time. Stories. Yeah, exactly. We're like we need storytellers, right? So it's like it's just fascinating that yeah, this this piece of shit just like. He was not supposed to enter Oklahoma again, and yet he still did. And he went to go visit the Osage people. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, this is how crazy you've gotten. And we're just like, again, you you think that you actually are these people's friend, and yet you are just like this um, this villainous guy. Uh, and then the Ernest Burkhardt situation is just like, well, he also got out early, but he is what we would consider today, like, you know, just uh, like a... a a trailer guy because he just goes, yeah he just goes to live with his brother in a trailer and just dies right I mean, it's crazy i don't like i don't know i can't remember what had happened to byron like his brother who also was like a co-conspirator conspirator and all this like i can't remember if he was he was in jail for a time or if he's just like just got ex- uh, ostracized i don't know i can't remember but he avoided jail he's he turned okay. he he basically he rat on everybody got <laughs> so. it, yeah um i we haven't talked but this will connect but we haven't talked too much about like the form this movie, like, it's it's incredibly well edited. I mean, any movie that's two or six minutes, and you know, we're all fine with that. <laughs> I mean, it's doing the job, um, and you know, it's not unexpected from Thomas Schumacher, um, and, and other, you know, production design, what have you. But the cinematography by Rodrigo Prieto, mm-hmm. um, I think what what so helps in that final scene, you know, the rest of the movie looks amazing. I don't know what else to say about that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a phenomenal looking movie. But like in that final sequence, when you're getting this epilogue, you're getting this presentation of everything. I think what just helps that Molly stuff so far is that it, it, the way it like it separates itself from w- that point that, you know, the kind of matter of fact presentation of like, here's all these people on this stage. And then you put, cause you get this close up on Scorsese, just saying these words and Scorsese himself, he knows how to narrate. He's a good narrator. Yeah. He's been in but, his own movies before, but like the, just the, the, it, it hits just the right way that, that and you can just tell what he's doing there when the camera just like breaks off and says, I'm going to show you, 
Scorsese, who you did not see coming, like like you figured, yeah. oh, probably Scorsese going to show up. But I'm gonna I'm gonna focus it right in his face and real and let just let you hear these words, let you hear about Molly and what history has done to minimize her story. Uh, it's it's powerful, like it is, like this is it's a, this whole movie like knows how to hit hard when it can. But it's like, yeah, this final bit is just as powerful as anything else I'm watching in this. Yeah, it's actually very strange because again, this is where I second watch is, is kind of critical for me. I, I'm curious to hear how that that last line ends again, because he basically just says like the murders were not mentioned, and I was like, I don't know if this is this a good thing or is this a bad thing. Like it's a terrible actually, thing. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at too. Yeah. Like, I think it's a terrible thing, but at the same time, like, was this one of those things where she was just like, I'm just gonna, I'm not. Was it written in her voice or was it written for her? Um, and I think it's written. It's the latter. I think it's written yeah. for her. So that's not my favorite thing. It's just like, great. Well, you know, like she died uh, having remarried, and you know what? None of the things that happened to her family were were mentioned in her obituary as well. Like these terrible things, um, and it's it's pretty fucking awful. I think there's, um, I think the only other quote unquote spoilerish thing is like, I'm curious what you guys thought about like, uh, the juxtaposition everything that you saw, and then like a courtroom setting with like loudness and and actors like uh brendan fraser and john lithgow in there like, what'd you guys think of that part <laughs> give me lithgow all day that was a happy surprise that i can't remember if yes. i knew that or not but i was like i oh, didn't I, I i so it's like yes great good out <laughs> here fine he was he yeah he was that that is the kind of guy you expect to pop up in that's the surprise lawyer you expected mm. not the other one <laughs> <laughs> now, Fr- Fraser, I, I know as we're talking, the Internet is a buzz with whether or not he's doing a great performance or a bad performance. Um, I think he's doing what's required of him for this kind of character. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm not, I don't think he's a highlight of the film, but he's sixth build. So, I mean, he certainly has a presence here. <laughs> but... Do you think it would have played differently for you pre-Oscar? No, I think it would have played differently for me if it wasn't Brendan Fraser, who's looks like brendan fraser i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's oh, I see what you're saying. it's the pre- it's the presence of him in general i don't think that i don't i'm not saying that's a miscasting but i you know it if it was just another character actor like we see throughout this film that would you know it would it would be a more mooted or mooted it would be a more muted performance but mm-hmm. i mean regardless of how like big he goes and the way he proclaims this and that because there's but i think that's why you get somebody a name in general just like you have John yeah. Lithgow because it does the work for you yeah 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 I but, do wonder if like now that we're, we've swapped other people's roles but like if you could like cloned what who, who could play opposite John Lithgow <laughs> um it'd be a reteam of him and Alfred Molina from uh that movie where there are a couple I was gonna say I was or James I don't know why James Vader just popped into my mind but <laughs> You know, because he had eight years on a lawyer show, I think. So I yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Bridges. Sure, and that would have okay. been that would have been interesting. Jeff Bridges and uh, John Lithgow are currently dueling on on the old man that TV show, so that's why. <laughs> that, that's um, yeah, that yeah it 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 def- he Leo. <laughs> I I we have, we've talked about my issues with Leo, but I think of the people like Brandon Fraser is the one that sticks out like the sore thumb. In a, in in a way that you are not like all with. Well, yeah, like okay. what Aaron has mentioned, it's just like it's like his face. It was right there. Yeah, um, like, I think it's like in the third act with like the Corbin scene. This is like where a lot of like Scorsese classic camera movement stuff happens too. Um, like a lot of pushing shots and a lot of like different angles. 
I I think it's fine for what it is. I think Bra- Frazier is kind of just supposed to play like loud, loud lawyer guy. He's doing um, what he's being told. You yeah, know, exactly. It's, yeah. It's not Scorsese like forgot. It's like, oh, I didn't know. No, what exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not as though he's like, let me let me get this guy and let me just make him. The first thing he says is something like super loud and ridiculous. And then there's like uproar in the courtroom mm-hmm. um, because he does play a, a calmer part uh, later where it's like one of the most chilling sequences in the movie, where it's just like a bunch of white faces staring at you for, for three seconds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Frazier, like he didn't take me out of it, but I was like, no, he's he's asked to do this again, loud lawyer guy. And he he does it fine. I, I don't think we've gotten enough of these from him. Like we, because he was in like, or, yeah. a Fraser. Like we've, like, because he, like, he's in No Sudden Move, the Soderbergh neo noir that came out a couple years ago. And he plays like Sidney Greenstreet in um, Maltese Falcon. And I feel like, where he's just like this big guy that's giving a lot of exposition. Sure. And I feel like if we had like six more of those roles for him, so people are like more familiar with Fraser being like this, this like plot ball, I think that would make him stand out less here because you're mm-hmm. like, oh, here comes Fraser doing one of these character performances again. But but instead, it's like this is basically the first time audience are going to see Brendan Fraser of you know who used to be a leading a traditional leading man type is sure. now in this position that he's in, and it's it can be awkward. It, it's jarring. I, I, yeah. I, I guess is the way the word to put for it. Anything else for me, guys? I'll say this: uh, yes. this movie opened this weekend. Obviously, it's. Uh, it got an A minus cinema score. It made twenty what twenty one million, some twenty three million, something like that. Um, and it's so, yeah, opening weekend twenty one outside of America, so forty four worldwide so far. It's two hundred million dollar mm-hmm. movie. It's not like Scorsese Spielberg. He's never been a box office guy. Like right. he, you know, the, the movies of Leo had more success because Leo draws more people in. Um, but it's not like I looked at the Killers of the Flower Moon thinking, here we go, Martin Scorsese is going to make a four hundred million dollar movie or whatever. But yeah. all of that being said. It is encouraging that people like this movie for one thing, yes. based on the cinema score. Uh, but also, they did go and see it. It didn't flop. Like, I mean, you know, it's, I'm not expecting you're not expecting a huge opening weekend for this movie, but for a three and a half hour film to make twenty three million dollars in the midst of Taylor Swift concert movie and horror things going on in October, not a bad start. Yeah, I don't I expect think. it to recoup all of that right away necessarily, but I don't think Apple does either. That's why it's an Apple produced movie that's distributed by Paramount. So. Mm-hmm. It, what I'm saying is it's encouraging once again that adults seem to be going to see adult movies um, and young people. Apparently, that's what the, and young people, what yeah, the percentages are saying, too. For sure. Yeah the, yeah. the 35 and under crowd went and saw this. They right. were genuinely interested, despite having no interviews from De Niro or DiCaprio or Gladstone to talk about this thing. They still wanted to go and see it. Sure. So that's that's something that's not yeah. nothing is what I'm saying. Amazing what can happen when you. uh Make, good make movies for different audiences. Right. <laughs> Who would have thought? You're telling okay. me people don't want to see all Loki things, Terry? Oh, God, <laughs> please. My least, one of my least favorite characters in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> Who's now apparently an anti-hero. So. And that's exactly why he's one of my least favorite characters. <laughs> okay, so we've talked for a good couple hours about Killers of the Fall. Has it been a couple hours? It's 1030 almost. Oh, <laughs> all right. We still have stuff to do. Yeah, we do. When should people go and see this movie? Terrence, when should people see Killers of the Flower Moon? Um, go see it as soon as you have three and a half hours uh, to go see a movie. See it in theaters. Okay. Abe? Yeah, see it in theaters. Yeah. Go. Go do this now. It's an epic that deserves to be seen on a giant big screen. Please do go. that. Okay. That and stay for the credits. Uh, all right. We've talked a lot about the Killers of the Flower Moon. Now it's time to do something completely different. 
Abe, what uh, what time is it over here? Let's shift gears and be a little bit upbeat here and talk about some games. Little known fact, that's actually the sound that a Buick makes, but they were just like, no, it actually should sound like... Arr! So Aaron was disappointed. Um, I got a game for you guys this week. It's called Morsese. This is a, a, a hodgepodge game, essentially uh, all about Martin Scorsese. So I'll ask you guys some various questions here. Nobody has to buzz in. Um, these are all multiple choice questions, but they, they span a lot of different categories. So just uh, don't be on your buzzer. Just uh, get your Scorsese hat on. Uh, Why you because... What's that? We should, we should buzz in. Why do you want us to buzz in ever? Oh, that's, that's, that's lame. Okay. Uh, Terrence, you get to go first because you're the, the guest here. In terms of Academy Award nominations... Who has the most number of nominations here? Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, Stanley Kubrick, or William Wyler? Uh, William Wyler. That is correct. 16 nominations. Yeah. Scorsese, yeah. 14. PTA, 11. Kubrick, 13. Wow, PTA, PTA really got all the writing credits or what it? It's all the writings and the directions. Yeah. Um, uh, well, good on him for getting that many. But yeah, William producing, Wilder. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys know how many uh, Steven Silver has nominations? Nominations? Yeah. 30. It's 24. Uh, I was going to oh. guess. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, Is you there... get it first in this next one here. Uh, highest grossing domestic box office. Uh, what do you think uh, is the answer? Among these four choices, oh. the last temptation of Christ, <laughs> Coon Dune, After Hours, or the King of Comedy. Well, that's a fun, that's a fun set there, because uh, I all of those flopped. Um, but I'm, hmm, I'm, hmm, I'm, hmm, I think Christ did the most there. That is incorrect. Okay. Terrence? Kundun? Kundun is also... That made less than the last attention of Christ. The answer I know, is... I, I, I felt bad because I was about to... I didn't realize that it was like, if one of us got it wrong, the other would have a chance to steal. I was starting to Google Kundun. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Don't use a device. Uh, I just wanted to, know, wanted to know what it was about. I haven't seen it. Is it after, is after hours? Yeah, 10.6 million. Uh, last in Hitchcock of Christ, eight point three. Kundun, five point six, and King of Comedy, obviously big flop, two point five. Yeah. Uh, Terrence, you get to go first in the next one here. On Rotten Tomatoes, what has the highest percentage of critic rating? The Aviator, The Color of Money, Casino, or The Wolf of Wall Street? Oh God. The color of money. That is correct. Oh wow! <laughs> I was that's, trying to trick you on that. That's honestly surprising. Yeah, eighty-eight. Well, I, I thought Aviator. Aviator is eighty-six percent. What's Casino? Seventy-nine percent tomato meter. That's surprising to me. And the Wolf right. of Wall Street, eighty percent. Yeah, Terrence, could, you saw through me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. Sure. I just thought that like it wasn't going to be. I, Aviator, just because I think it wasn't going to be Aviator, yeah. Balk at the at the length and feel of that movie. Uh-huh. Um, well, we'll get on you for for uh, okay. Maybe doing some logic cross logic there. 
Uh, Aaron, on a letterbox scale, <laughs> Jesus. what is the highest rated movie here? The Wolf of Wall Street. The King of Comedy. The Last Temptation of Christ. Or Shutter Island. Well, it's got to be between Wolf and King of Comedy based on the letterbox crowd. Um, I'm going to say Wolf of Wall Street. That is incorrect. All right. Terrence, Shutter Island. That is also incorrect. It's not Shutter Island. No. <laughs> it is the King I, of Comedy. It's the King of Comedy. <laughs> I just yeah. thought, you know, I thought I was thinking out of the box. Well, here we go. I mean, the Wolf of Wall Street 4.0. King of Comedy 4.2. Okay. So Last Intention of Christ 3.9. Shutter Island 4.1. Ooh. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the letterbox, letterbox crowd, crowd. The letterbox crowd likes, they like the King of Comedy. Like that's, just, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that, un, that's that, un, to them, that's that underrated Scorsese movie, even though everyone that sees it likes it now. It's, yeah. it's somehow it's still Every, underrated. They, I mean, they watch like, the Joker and they're just like, I think I should go see the original. Uh, well, <laughs> if, if that is what it takes, then good on them. Uh, Terrence, you get to go first in the next one. Metacritic scale. <laughs> Oh, God. What is the highest uh, Martin Scorsese picture here? Bringing Out the Dead, Shutter Island, Cape Fear, or Kundun? Mm-hmm. Cape Fear. Is incorrect. Aaron? No, oh, this is difficult. Um... <laughs> Metacritic is pretty hard. Yeah, I'm going to say Kundun, though. That is correct! Boom. (laughs) Bringing Out the Dead, 72, Metacritic. Yeah. Shutter Island, 63. Like, Shutter's not going to top any of these, so I'm not not worried about that. Cape Fear, 73. And Kundun, 74. Oh, just barely. Okay. Just barely, yeah. I just figured like the ratio, like of how many reviews there are versus how many of them are like absolutely bad. It's probably low. So, but it, like, yeah, in doing this game, it's actually really funny just how like all these ones are very different. Mm. Uh, Speaking of Metacritic, are you on Metacritic, Aaron? No, well, Legal Entertainment is not a Metacritic approved site. Mm. Oh, uh, Terrence, you went first at last game, so Aaron, you get to go first in the next game here. Robert, uh, Robert, Roger Ebert rankings. Uh, he only goes to four stars. Uh-huh. Uh, what is the highest uh, score from this list of movies here? The King of Comedy, After Hours, Gangs of New York, and Cape Fear. Well, Gangs is three and a half. Cape is three. Maybe three and a half, but I think it's just three. So that leaves what, King of Comedy and After Hours? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure After Hours is a four star review, so I'm going to go with that. Aaron, I'm surprised that you know these Roger Ebert reviews, so I can't be using them in future ones, but that's um, correct. I'm very good at this. <laughs> Roger Ebert reviews. King and Comedy, three stars. It's three for King. Okay, I went yeah. three. After three hours, you nailed it four. Mm. Kings in New York, three and a half, and Cape Fear, three. So, yeah, can't be using that in the future. <laughs> if you want to impress our guests, you should. <laughs> no, no, that's out now. <laughs> Um, and those are only I, I would not have taken anything that Roger Ebert did not review, even though his website's still alive. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not like Sam Levine on Douglas movies with its Blender Malton reviews. I don't know those at all. I know oh, the Roger. I know the Roger. Should turn next. I know the I know the Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah. Well, Terrence, uh, you got to go first uh, here. IMDb score, the highest uh, number star uh, mm-hmm. for these movies. Silence. Shutter Island. 
The Departed, or Casino. Oh, God. I'm trying to think, what does a 35-year-old straight white man <laughs> who likely contributed to this counter what what do they think is the best? I like your logic here because it's actually I, pretty accurate. I, I know the answer. <laughs> I, can you re read me the choices? Sure. Yeah, the choices again are Silence, Shutter Island, The Departed, or Casino. <sighs> the Departed. That is correct. Easily. Easily. The, the, the fucking people love the deposit. That is so. No, that, you that know what I was IMDb's thinking it was going to be? Right there. Casino? Like, Casino is what I thought. Casino is a close. I bet it's close. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, silence 7.2. Mm -hmm. Shutter Island 8.2. Still pretty high. The Departed 8.5. Yeah. And Casino 8.2. Okay. The, yeah. The I knew it wasn't going to be silent. Silence is a little too polarizing so that's I not, that yeah, that's not getting those people you described in the place the yeah, the yeah exactly. and i was the, like well i can't choose a good fellows because that's like 8.7 the, the is so, that's such a perfect imdb thing for like it's on fx all the time playing the yeah. fucking music it's yeah. got all these gunfights in it like that's such an imdb movie like that's easy yeah it's um, it's one of the first ones that people in college would be like, "Have you seen The Departed?" Exactly. Like, you gotta watch yep. it. And I think I like the. I have no problem with The Departed. It's just it's, it's very, a very good. It's a very. I, yeah, I have easy no problem with it either. To, to like, as far as that kind of crowd goes. I think uh, as far as like what we were, I think we we're all getting to with like, well, I don't know. Scorsese has made better movies, so it's not his best movie, but it's it's entertaining. Um, is it gonna be wild when his career is all said and done, and that is the only Oscar? Well, we'll Oof. see after this Oscar cycle if this gets him something. We'll see. Now you know, you know Christopher Nolan has taken that. Come on, they could both win, Terrence. No <laughs> winner. Uh, unfortunately, you guys can both not win, but there were two that I got. Um, and so, Terrence, you are the winner of this week's games. <laughs> Thank you. I, I and good job on the Departed because that would have been. Uh, I was hoping you get it wrong. So break, actually, <laughs> I accept this win. Humbly and graciously, when I say in your face, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's how you play Morsese uh, with an asterisk of, I can't use Roger Ebert rankings anymore. <laughs> and uh, and uh, maybe, maybe again, Aaron's too good at MDB as well. So <laughs> I was surprised when I was like, this is too easy, Terrence. Like, come on. I was like, does he know? I didn't say it was too easy. I just said I know the answer because it's, yeah. it was the the second you said The Departed and you didn't say Goodfellas, I'm like, well, it's The Departed. No, no question. <laughs> I was like, well, I think Casino is a good uh, a good uh, hide here, but uh, <laughs> it was not. But I had you thinking for a second. All right. Well, thank you for that game, Abe. You're welcome. Let's move on now. Let's get to our now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com. We have some number of questions to our listeners, and they give some answers. And Terrence, feel free to throw out any answers you might have as we go through these. First question mm -hmm. here is a pretty good one. First question is, what is your favorite Martin Scorsese film from each decade he's been active? Chris Cleland oh, right from the 70s, Taxi Driver. From the 80s, The Color of Money. The 90s, Goodfellas. The 2000s, The Aviator. And the 2010s, The Wolf of Wall Street. Philip Hurd writes the 70s, Taxi Driver, 80s, Color of Money, 90s, Kundun, 80s, or 2000s, The Departed, 2010s, Hugo. These Color of Money fans, I tell you. 
Yeah. <laughs> With a bunch of Peter love Paris Vince, supporters. I guess. Peter Paris supporters over here. So <laughs> 70s. Uh-huh. Taxi driver. Okay. 80s. Raging Bull. I'm the same oh. so far. Yeah. 90s. Cape Fear. Okay. Which I actually really do love. I'm on, um, I'm on Goodfellas. 2000s. I'll be the 35 year old what straight white man. It's departed. departed. Yeah, it's departed. <laughs> 2010s, Wolf of Wall Street. I love Hugo, so it is Hugo for me. But yeah. like his, but Scorsese's 2010s is to me is so impressive. So like it's it you know, is splitting like splitting a difference here. But yeah. Hugo is my favorite of that year. So there you go. And lastly, Tyler Wank writes the 70s Taxi Driver, 80s Raging Bull, 90s Casino, 2000s Gangs of New York, and 2010s silence so yeah we've run the gamut here i mean like taxi driver is such like a i mean it's not it's like it's like i fucking love mean streets and that comes to criterion and i can't wait but like taxi Mm -hmm. driver seems so like yeah great well we all seem to agree on this (laughs) but i like seeing between our listeners here the disparity between these choices is really cool yeah uh okay next question we have what are your favorite films that put focus on native americans or other indigenous groups in various countries chris writes blood quantum Philip has The Last of the Mohicans and Roma. Uh, and Tyler has Wind River and Apocalypto. Hmm. I really like Apocalypto, and I hate the fact that I like Apocalypto as much as I do. <laughs> Why is that, Aaron? <laughs> because of the director. <laughs> because of that, that guy that made it. No. But it's such a it's such a great <laughs> movie, and I hate that so much. <laughs> uh, I'm very partial to the movie called Smoke Signals. Uh, oh, yeah from i think it was like the late 90s early 2000s but um it's a really good journey about uh somebody who's trying to maybe not embrace his native american side versus somebody who's like super into it because he has been given essentially like shaman powers uh from birth um and storytelling powers adam beach yeah adam beach is like the guy who's like not really sure about it and then they go on a cross country country uh journey with each other and he learns more about his his uh Native American side, and he embraces at the end of the movie, among other things. They, they deal with a lot of like current modern times too, with like alcoholism on reservations and things like that as well. I'll throw um, um, the New World out there from our boy Terry. Okay, <laughs> that's what you like to call him. We t- yeah. Terry Terry Malik. Yeah, <laughs> this is actually. I think this more currently, really... I'd also say pray. So. Craig's great, and it's yeah. a it's a very much a, a movie made by an ally. Of Should have been movie. in a fucking theater. I mean, yeah. some, of us, some of us were lucky to see it in a theater. How dare you? How dare you glow <laughs> to my face, Terrence? Sorry to cut you off. Well, I lost um, the game, so I have to learn about something. <laughs> Embrace of the serpent is the first thing that popped into Ooh, Okay. Mind. Although I heard, I heard that director has uh, problems, but uh, much like oh, Mel Gibson, no. who directed that? <laughs> um, what's his name off here? The serpent. It's made by Ciro Guerra. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to do searching. On your own. I'm, I'm afraid now, and I, I won't. I don't want that in my search history. It's the old sh. Um, hmm. Sexual or uh, sexual harassment. How incredibly <laughs> disappointing and awful. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you can still no reject your answer. <laughs> I mean, the movie is the. It, yeah. It, yeah. Aaron, I apocalypse. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah. literally refuse to see him in movies anymore. I, I refuse to watch that fucking John Wick, the Continental. I can't believe he's in cast it. him in that. Oh like, wow! Yeah. 
That, it's really annoying to me that I'm like, I can't, I don't, I won't watch this and I have no, nothing against John Wick oh. at all, but I'm like, I'm not watching the show. So anyway. Um, okay. Well, moving on. What is your favorite ensemble cast from a Scorsese film? Todd Levin writes After Hours. Philip Hurd has The Irishman. Chris Cleveland writes Goodfellas. Irene Johnson has The Departed. And Tyler Winky has Casino. Hmm. This is tough. Your favorite Obvious ensemble. Because he always has great ensembles. Just because I want to shout it out. And I, but I do think the utilization of having specific people makes a lot of sense here. Bringing out the dead. Because I really like that movie a okay. lot. And because that structure, you have Nick Cage going on three different nights with Ving Rhames, um, uh, John Goodman, and Tom Sizemore. And there's like, you know, Patricia Arquette, and Clifton Collins Jr. Like there's a bunch of other people in it. But I, not Clifton Collins uh, Cliff Curtis. Uh, okay. But I, I think that's a great. Oh, ensemble. Cliff Curtis, New Zealand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who plays a Mexican in this movie? Of course. Oh, because he's played everybody. This is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say Wolf of Wall Street. Although I do think Silence would maybe be up there. Yeah, it's a great. It's even a great... though I don't like that movie at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the ensemble is pretty spectacular. They're all really well. You, the Japanese actors as well. It's all really yeah, well great. handled. Uh, I'm gonna throw in uh, Gangs of New York just because uh, DDL is like blowing everybody off the screen. Side characters are pretty good in that movie too, but yeah, he's just like lost his eye and I'm like give this man an Oscar. That was that beginning of that small run of Liam Neeson comes in for like 15 minutes and dominates a movie uh, for like a bit because it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that Kingdom of Heaven, Batman Begins. It's like Liam before he became like action star, action Neeson, star, yeah, he was yeah. Like, 70s action star. He he was like Liam Neeson just popped in and killed it for like 10 minutes. And now he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next question we have here: What are some great films focused on unsolved murders? Ooh. Philip writes. Philip Heard writes Memories of Murder and Zodiac. Maxwell Headad says these, as in he agrees with what Philip just said. Uh, Chris has Chris Cleveland has uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Zodiac. Tyler has The Town That Dreaded Sundown and hmm. From Hell. Great hell, great movies, and From Hell in the same sentence. Things I didn't. <laughs> today, but... Now don't. <laughs> He's a he's a title. Oh, I'm sorry, maker. I forgot. Terrence was a from hell defender. Apparently, <laughs> it's got Bilbo Baggins in it. Yes, it does. <laughs> Unsolved who may murders. or may not be the killer. <laughs> it's hard to not choose memories of Zodiac, but I'm trying to yeah, think about like other ones that good. are that are unsolved. I mean, I guess it's Kaiser by Sons. by unsolved. Mm-hmm. Do we mean we just don't we just don't have I, I, anatomy I, I, of a I, fall I, popped into my mind? That's a good one too. I think Aaron like highly recommended that. I, I have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, take the question as you want to. I, I would say that there's a it's purposefully not making it explicit, I guess, is the mm-hmm. idea. Abe, anything? Um, I mean the only thing that's coming to mind is Coraline. But we know who killed those kids. Right. <laughs> that was and not it, what I expected you to say. I'm like, other oh, mother definitely killed those kids, even though she put it on different disguises. Um, the next question here is, what's your favorite Jesse Plemons performance? Tyler Winky writes, Robert Daly from Black Mirror's USS Castiller. Um, Callister. Callister, sorry. He plays an asshole in that episode. He does. Yeah, yeah. he does. That is, that is a good uh, episode. 
Scott Neil Laster writes, he's great in everything. Friday and Alex is where I first noticed him, but then Breaking Bad was his best, in my opinion. I also love his film roles. I still like those TV, TV performances best. Philip Heard writes, tough to choose between Friday Night Lights and Game Night. How about you guys? Jesse I thought I was going to be so original and say Game Night only for the <laughs> last person to come in and swoop in and say that. I, game Night is just... It's, it's very so specifically funny. done and it's very yes. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. Um... Game night does come up. Uh, I like El- Breaking Bad as what Todd. I do think he's that like in two episodes. Yeah, he's in a bunch of episodes. In oh, sorry, Breaking. He's in like a whole. Yeah, he's like a whole season basically, and then he's in the El Camino, the movie as oh. well. Um, I I think that's such a, <laughs> it's such a like a, it's so subtly evil, and you, <laughs> it's it's hard to like look at him in that performance and just think of anything, but like, I can't wait for this man to die in some way. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a, I think it's a, it's a really, it's a really good performance to like make Landry be this character. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm thinking, I'm thinking of ending things. I think that's, that's where my brain is going to. Yeah. I also think he's great in the power of the dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's great power of the dog for sure. Yeah. He's been great in a lot of things. Uh, I, I, if you would ask me like when, when Fred and allies came out, if, I thought he was going to be the breakout star of it. I probably would have said no, but um, he's a fantastic <laughs> actor. Like he is just everything that he does is like either we talked about it in the, the, the killers of Fallout moon review. It was like, he can kind of play like smarmy smug and dumb and, and dim probably all at the same time. And that's why I think that, that um, I'm thinking many things is such a great performance as well. He, he's, he's great on Fargo. Also. I need to shout that out. He's great on Fargo too. As okay. well. The season, Full season? Two of- the season two of yeah he's the lead of season two of fargo that's there where he, he and kirsten dunst met like and oh that, that oh. whole that whole show is incredibly well cast no i think yeah. they met in 1940s montana <laughs> <laughs> so i think you're wrong here <laughs> as far as who you thought would come out of friday night lights it's ryan merriman right you thought he'd be he'd be <laughs> and now he just gets murdered in horror movies all the time <laughs> hey man you gotta everybody, everybody's got bills to pay dog <laughs> the rent is due on the first that's right or is that is that Guilford? He's QB one. Yeah, seriously. He's in the. Um, uh... He's in House of Usher. Oh, is he really? He's in mm-hmm. he's in a lot of Flanagan stuff. Is he a Flanagan guy? Okay. Yeah, he's a Flanagan. Yeah, he was in Midnight Mass. He's in Midnight too. Mass, yeah. and he's effective. Um, because yeah, he's also um in well, I guess he's only in two of the uh the what's the Purge movies, or is it only one? I would assume one because they're all different casts every okay. movie. So. so yeah, okay. I didn't know if he reprised in like the fifth one or whatever, but yeah. okay. What's next here? What are some great films about characters who are not political leaders but still rule over towns or cities or greater areas? Um, we only got one answer, and it's from Jeff Mendes. He writes P- Peter Griffin, a Family Guy, apparently. <laughs> went for. I guess he runs Quill Hog. Maybe. What is the question again? Like who? Like a character like De Niro, who's not a political leader, but certainly has kind of like a rule over a town. Who are who's a character? What are some great char- films of characters like that? Mm-hmm. Not a political leader, but rules over a town. I think like Gene Hackman in Unforgiven is like an answer I have for that one. Isn't he the sheriff? It's not like a political leader, but I mean, like even then, no. like the you know the kind of impact he, he, he certainly has, town. like a grip on the town. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, like everybody he, like runs with him. Exactly. He's not the mayor. You know, <laughs> no, he's definitely not because that guy didn't do anything. Yeah. 
Uh, Mr. Waternoose. Mr. Waternoose. <laughs> <In Winter laughs> that guy is not running a town, but he's running everything, including Mr. Waternoose. Including the capture of children and their screams and not not listening to Mike and being like, laughter actually might help us out more. <sighs> what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think the monsters I, handle I, COVID? Or does he die? He gets banished, right? He gets ba- he, no one dies. <laughs> monsters universe in the world. <laughs> he gets banished like the Arctic or whatever. Yeah, he joins John Ratzenberger. That's gets, right. Yeah, get some yellow snowballs. Yeah. How about you, Terrence? This is the, the Count of Monte Cristo is okay. The oh. only thing I can think. Of. I'm I'm literally scrolling through my great movies list on Letterbox trying to <laughs> piece. Yeah, I think that would. Like there are political leaders, obviously, in that, but mm-hmm. um, the count and then uh, Edmond Dantes and then Dantes, uh, yeah, his his main adversary, Guy Pierce, <laughs> yes. was the guy who was really running stuff in that town. So yeah, that fits. Okay. Here you. All right. Well, that's out of feedback. 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 And that is going to bring us to the end of this long episode of Out and Out There and Abe. You can find everything I do at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write for Legal Entertainment Movie Reviews and Wise Blue Park Criterion and Blu-ray Reviews. And I am on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can have more friends over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag, no, you can stand. Aaron Shots, where can people find more of you online? You can find my work at lenoirtour.net, L-E-N-O-I-R-A-U-T-E-U-R.net. And then find me at Twitter, uh, Terrence B. Johnson. Terrence Dobie Johnson, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> you can find all the other episodes of Out Now Thursday on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HHWLED. Feel free to email us at outnowpockets at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page at outnowpodcast or our Twitter, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And our Instagram page, instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. And again, iTunes reader ratings, going to get those, helps out the show. Um, yeah, Terrence, thank you for joining us. Thank this you, week. Terrence. Thanks for having me. For um, sure, it was a lot of fun. Um, let's see. Next week, uh, Halloween's coming. We don't have a lot well, of big releases. Stuff coming. We got good stuff coming down the line, but we'll we'll see what we talk about next mm-hmm. week uh, for sure, depending on availability and what have you. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Bye.